1: Shadows by Shadow Windhawk and the Morticians from their 2016 album Cremation Garden available on iTunes. Welcome to this episode, episode 20 of the Classic Horrors Podcast, our monthly meeting. I am
2: Jeff Owens from Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from monstermoviekid.wordpress.com and kccinephile.com. We have a big episode today, so I'll call this meeting to order.
1: First of all, I want to welcome a couple of new members. Members are what we're calling people that join our Facebook group page, The Classic Horrors Club Podcast, and it continues to grow, and it's very exciting. People are starting to post things on there. I say it every time, but I think it's a fun little community that we're building there, and we invite everyone to join. There's no qualifications necessary. We accept just about everybody. Let's welcome Chris Mounts and Jess Oliver particularly want to mention Chris. He was one of our first listeners. I remember him posting that uh, he had listened to our podcast, and I'm glad he's joined our group.
2: And he's fairly prolific on Facebook. He's always uh, having interesting posts and sharing what movies he's watching and stuff. So, yes, welcome. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen.
1: Let's start out with some old business where we tie up some loose ends from our last episode, the Margot Kidder episode. So we talked about Sisters, Black Christmas, and the Amityville Horror, and we talked about Brian De Palma in terms of making sisters. I had just failed to mention that there was a terrific documentary on Brian De Palma that came out last, well, I guess 2016 now, called De Palma, and I just really recommend that you guys watch that. I reviewed that on Boom Howdy back in September of 2016 if you want to check that out, but we, we made some reference, and afterwards I thought, ah, I really should have mentioned that. Have you seen that, Rich? I have not. I've heard of it,
2: but I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It goes through each of his movies, so I'm sure there was a section there where he was talking about sisters. I also wanted to mention when we talked about Black Christmas, there's that urban legend that the phone call is coming from the house, and I wondered if you knew about that. They used it five years later in When a Stranger Calls, but they also used it in Black Christmas. I remember when I was little and had a babysitter, this is like what you don't do when you're babysitting, but you tell the kid this story and it was about someone that was being terrorized and kept calling the police and the big punch was the police called back and said, they're calling from inside the house. So this would have been before either one of these movies and I just wondered, is it an urban legend of that or did it come from some other piece of fiction?
2: I don't know. It might be an urban legend. I mean, it's like the the story of the... The hook or whatever on the roof of the car, you know, I've heard of it, you know, in different forms of of uh, entertainment, but I don't know its origin. Maybe that's something we we follow up on next episode. Follow up on the follow up, yeah. Or if anyone knows, let us know. I just
1: I think it's one of the great twists in horror movies, and I don't know if Black Christmas was maybe the first, but I think that stories must have been around before that had to
2: have been. I don't think it's been done as good as it was in Black Christmas. As you said, that's the first, and the first was the best. The others are good, but that Black Christmas was was done very, very well. So I think with a little bit of humor, too, because the, the police officer who's calling her to tell her, basically he's told, don't be don't panic or whatever, and that's exactly what he ends up doing because he was the jerk earlier in the movie. So it just kind of adds to the fun of the moment, which is not a very fun moment.
1: We talked about Murray Hamilton being in Amityville Horror, and we weren't sure if he was in Jaws 2 as well as the original Jaws. He was, in fact, in it. We also weren't clear on the year, so I just wanted to clear that up. It wasn't 1979, it was 1978 that Jaws 2 was released. We mentioned our friend Christopher Page and his podcast. I could not remember the name or I failed to mention, but he actually has two podcasts. One is the Time Shifters podcast and then Orphaned Entertainment. Those are are both great podcasts to check out. We talked about Margot Kidder and her uh, illness that she had and how she was treated. And and we read that orthomolecular medicine she credits as basically saving her. I wanted just to find out a little more about that. Orthomolecular medicine describes the practice of preventing and treating disease by providing the body with optimal amounts of substances which are natural to the body. It comes from the Greek ortho, means correct or right. You combine that with molecule and it literally means the right molecule. Hmm. So it sounds like some type of natural or holistic treatment that helped her get out of her hole that she was in. I had never heard of that before. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We talked about a new release coming to Blu-ray called Survive from nineteen seventy six. We didn't know anything about it, but now I I remember. It's the one about the rugby team that crashes in the Andes and they have to resort to cannibalism to oh, survive. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I think based on a true story maybe. I believe it was, yeah, yes. So so that's what Survive was and that's out on, on Blu ray now. Another bit of old business we had sort of is our friend Jonathan gave us a call and he mentioned this hammer retrospective that he was going to. And my ears immediately perked up and I wanted to know more about that. He actually called in. I'll play that call now. He tells us a little bit more about that.
3: Hey, guys, it's Jonathan. I just wanted to follow up about the Hammer retrospective that I mentioned for the last podcast. So it's a a two-and-a-half-week retrospective, actually, of Hammer films entitled Hammer's House of Horror, and it's part one, classic years 1956 to 1967, which is very exciting. That means they're going to do a part two with all that kind of wonderful and zany, zany late Hammer horror from... You know, late 60s into the 70s. I know it's kind of a different thing. A lot more skin, (laughs) a lot more blood. So right now they're in the middle of part one of the retrospective. It's running for about two and a half weeks, like I said. So I just wanted to be a little clearer about that. They're running films like Brides of Dracula, Curse of the Werewolf, The Gorgon, Horror of Dracula, One Million Years B.C., Fan of the Opera, Pirates of Blood River, Devil Rides Out, Frankenstein Created Woman, Abominable Snowman, uh, Curse of Frankenstein, The Mummy—it goes on and on. So it's a pretty, pretty extensive retrospective. Some of the films are screening more than once, but it's really cool. And you know, the Quad is kind of a classic NYC spot. Did refurbish the theater a few years back. They're small, small, more, more intimate theaters. Kind of more of what they describe as more European style of uh, movie going. So uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. I've seen. Um, Revenge Frankenstein. I'm hoping to see at least three or four more Horror of Dracula, Quatermass, in The Pit. Hopefully I'll get to see The Gorgon. Most of these films I've already seen once, if not several times, but just fun to see it in the theatrical setting. And, again, mostly 35-millimeter prints that have been restored. If the quality was not that good, what they do is just use go with the digital. But there's a lot of original film. and there's nothing like that crack and pop and slight grain of of actual film. So it's really cool, and I will keep you posted on that and uh, let you know how that's been going. But anyway, I just wanted to clear that up. That's all I got right now. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, Jeff and Rich. uh, One more thing. Just as I was talking about the Quad Cinemas, I just discovered, just looking back on their website, that they are going to be playing the old Dark House. Five straight days of screening uh, this film. I think these are usually playing in the afternoon, but luckily I have um, some days off leading up to the Monster Bash, so um, I'm going to be able to catch that pre-Monster Bash, which seems appropriate. And I also recall that when you guys did your Karloff episode, I commented that uh, that's what was a big blind spot for me was the old Dark House uh, for Karloff, so now I'm going to be able to screen it. They're screening in a 72... Uh, millimeter print restored so that should be pretty pretty spectacular but i just wanted to have because that was interesting that we had just been talking about this and i had never seen this james whale classic and i'm going to get to see it and before monster bash okay that's all i got for now i know you guys are probably not going to be uh, playing this or recording until next month so this will all be long over by then but Just wanted to follow up. More excitement uh, happening at the quad. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you, Jonathan, for that. Always, always appreciate your calls. We're going to turn right around and hear you again because you were so kind to call us during Monster Bash and give us some on-site reporting.
3: Hey, Jeff and Rich. It's Jonathan from Astoria, New York. Just calling in once again, this time checking in late in day one of the Monster Bash. Well, I guess it's technically day two. Day one was Thursday night, sort of. Anyway, first full day, awesome day, long day. I'm gearing up for Mexican Monster Night with Samson in the Wax Museum from 1964. I don't know if I'll make it through the whole thing, but I'm going to give it a serious shot. But it was an awesome day here. Got to see a screening of Day of the Triffids from 1962, which is a pretty pretty classic film of that era it's very similar to so it reminded me a lot of island of terror for some reason but i had seen it but not uh for a long time since i was a kid so it was great to revisit that one they also had a QA with yanina fey it's not janina apparently it's yanina she's the little girl from horror of dracula and day of the triffids the hands of orlock and several other films but she was wonderful in the q a very sweet energetic she looks great guessing she's got to be probably around 70 by this point, but she was amazing. Let's see. also got to see a screening of Ghost of Frankenstein from a 1942. Caught most of that with Lon Chaney Jr. I'd never seen that one before. And a really beautiful print they had, really crisp. The scenes in the lab were pretty spectacular. Then a talk after Ghost of Frankenstein with Frank Dellastrito, talking about the film. He did a little PowerPoint presentation. Later on in the day, I saw Dinosaurus. Uh, really fun, very kid-centric dinosaur film from 1960. So like I told you guys, hardly Harryhausen or Willis O'Brien, uh, but a fun, a fun little movie. And then we had a little break. I know the Bash Boys just performed. We missed that, but gearing up for Mexican Monster Night. Like I said, I'll see if I can give it a give it a shot. If I can actually uh, finish, but I'm definitely fading. I guess I'm a lightweight. I don't think I'll make the 2 a.m. showing of the Land Unknown. As much as I do like that film, I think i we don't think I'll make it that far, but yes, done great. She's stopped in to a couple Q and A's. Otherwise, she's you know really enjoyed meeting the whole gang from the B movie cast. Mary, Nick, she's met Chris Page, Derek of course. We've seen Derek and a bunch of other folks whose names are escaping me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Steve Turek. Steven Turek, of course. He and I both got together and realized that we need to report in for you guys, so we're trying to do that, so you'll probably hear from him as well. So it was great meeting uh, Stephen, super nice guy, really knows this stuff, actually late in the day, uh, Stephen and I, and uh, Dominic Lassie, and uh, I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly, if I'm, if I'm not, I apologize, but she's from the Portland area, and Derek and a few other folks were talking about our favorite uh, kaiju movies, and stuff that influence us uh, growing up so that was a really fun conversation but that's what happens at these events you just end up running into people all day you know having whether it's a two minute or a 20 minute conversation which is great it's just the camaraderie here and the, uh, the sharing of ideas and enthusiasm and passion for these films it's just I guess that's really what it's about so yeah so that's all I have for now I will try to check in tomorrow day two they got some great things planned: the body snatcher Q&A with Sharon Moffat. They're going to play Mad Love, which I know you guys covered not that long ago. They're also going to be doing a talk by Greg Mank. He's going to be talking about Colin Clive, which I'm really interested in because, you know, I know him from a couple films, you know, obviously Frankenstein, Bride and Bride, and a couple other films. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, including Mad Love, actually. And yeah, and then we'll have cake. I don't know if the outdoor... Movie's gonna work because there's bad weather predicted for tomorrow, but we'll see. Maybe it'll hold out. It was supposed to rain today, and it was, uh, actually, it's really nice. Uh, Yasmin and I just went out for, we're calling it our daily constitutional (laughs) because she's seven months pregnant, definitely needs to continue to be active. So we take these walks uh, around the big double tree, the Mars double tree parking lot, which has been pretty funny. It's like, I think people are used to seeing us kind of walking around the parking lot now. That's all I got for now, but it's been great. Wish you guys were here. We definitely miss you, but we'll be uh, continuing to give you some updates and uh, you can feel like you at least experienced uh, monster bashes here, at least from afar. That's all I got for now, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: So
1: Jonathan was able to call in and leave those voicemails because he used our phone number, which is 616-649-2582. That's 616-649-CLUB. And you all are invited to do that as well.
3: Hey, guys, it's Jonathan again, checking in, part two, end of day two of the Monster Bash. Just winding down here, it's about midnight, almost midnight. Uh, It was a great day. We got to see uh, The Body Snatcher, which was amazing. Film I had already seen, but I was with Chris Page watching. He had never seen it, and he said, and I agree, that one of Boris Karloff's best performances. Pretty spectacular. He is uh, incredibly creepy. I mean, the cast is great, but Karloff in particular kind of makes your hair stand up on end uh, in that film. Uh, so there's the body snatcher. We also saw uh, Mad Love, which I know you guys are very familiar with, which was excellent. And that was followed by a talk, a good in-depth uh, discussion about Colin Clive, his life and his work. Uh, a lot of tragedy, obviously, in his life. Especially suffered from very poor health. A lot of it due to alcoholism. So they touched on that. I forget the gentleman's name that did the talk, but it was very comprehensive. Definitely worth hearing. I'm hoping that Derek picked it up for his podcast. I know he and Scott Morris were in there recording a lot of the Q&A sessions, So hopefully they pick that up. And speaking of Q and A's, Victoria Price also did her talk tonight, which was extremely popular. Unfortunately. Which you know sometimes happens at the Monster Bash. The time frame was was a little askew, and uh, she started uh, late. There was also a fire, a very small fire, or an overpowered overheated motor in one of the elevators, and it caused uh, the fire alarms to go off and it kind of a burnt electronic burnt smell uh, in the hotel. So that kind of threw things off. So a bunch of us were hanging out in the lobby as we did last year and tried to go into the see Victoria Price, Place by that point, uh, we were delayed and got in there and it was just packed and you really couldn't sit down. So, But I know Derek recorded that, so anyone who listens to Monster Kid Radio will be able to hear that. At some point, I'm sure he's gonna play that. Otherwise, had a great time hanging out with any, everyone. Derek, um, Nick Brown, Mary, Juan, the movie cast, Fiona, I think I mentioned Fiona rod barnett who i never got to meet was at the bash this year had a great time with him brenda mcneil uh the list kind of goes on and on scott morris and his wife tracy who i had never met so we had a really great time uh and Yasmin had a great time as well you know this is her first monster bash and you know she got to a couple of the q and a's but she did really well and i think you know even though it's not necessarily in her wheelhouse or her, her thing, so to speak, you know, I think she had a great time and she got to meet so many great people and you could tell she was really enjoying herself. So that was really great. And that's really what it's all about. It really is. And we've said that we said this last year, we said it this year, you know, this event is really just like a big reunion. Uh, and people the talks are great. Q and A's are great. Screenings are great, but it's just, I think the one of the biggest draws is just everyone getting together and, you know, checking in and just having a great time. And you know, talking movies, but also, you know, personal lives and, you know, what's going on with us and getting to know folks. Yeah, so it was great. Oh, and of course, there was cake, lots of sheet cake. There's a huge run on the cake, by the way. It got a little scary for a moment, but everything settled. down. <laughs> but yeah, that was great. And we just finished uh, um, The Brain from Planet Arrows. I think I have the title right, so I'm a little tired. Which was a lot of fun. I have to say, I was a little sleepy, so I'll probably need to revisit this. But coming in at a very, very lean 71 minutes, that shouldn't be, shouldn't be a problem. We had a, gra- a blast watching that, watched that with Tom and Wolfie and uh, Mary, and, uh, a few other folks. Uh, that was great. That kind of wraps things up. The weather held out, so we were able to have the outdoor movie night, which was awesome. And the weather overall here in Mars was was actually pretty good. Uh, it wasn't a deluge, which we thought would be the case. That's about it. Uh, wrapping up. Going to go home. Uh, I'm well... Go back to my hotel now, crash uh, with my better half, and uh, get ready for a long drive home tomorrow. Uh, we'll probably leave pretty early. Hopefully we'll see some folks in the morning, but we'll head up pretty early because we got a kind of a long ride and back to work on Monday. But we'll check in again soon, guys. I hope you're having fun back in uh, Kansas City doing your uh, Monster Bash from afar. Um, I heard you re- I understand you're watching Break from Planet Arrows tonight as well, so that's kind of fun. So, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. I want to
2: say something interesting you know with monster bash is that there's so much going on and so many different things you can do and so many ways you can approach monster bash you go into some people don't even attend really any of the the panels per se they go there for the social interaction with fellow you know monster kids uh, others will you know strive on attending every single Q&A and yet then there are those who love sitting there screening all the movies and stuff. For me, I remember last year, you know, it was just meeting everybody was the one thing that that for the, was the best part of Monster Bash. And probably the one part that you and I both missed uh, as everyone was gathering. And, you know, next year's Monster Bash, the guest list is looking amazing, full of, of all the Hammer Queens. And we've got Joshua Kennedy's movie making its debut you and I are already planning on as we're recording this. We're days away from the rooms being opened up. And I know that uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that and reserving the room by hook or by crook. We're going to definitely going to be there for 2019. Uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yes, me too. So it's nice that Jonathan called in and and left the message, but we've now got our special guest for the episode, Steven Turek, and he's going to actually tell us in person, in conversation, his experience from Monster Bash, and Richard, my fault, because I seem to be rushing along, we failed to even mention what we're talking about today.
2: Let's just kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. This is an episode where we're dealing with a new experience of having a guest call in and not doing it over the phone. The disclaimer is that as you listen to the audio, there's going to be probably a difference in tone a little bit from when... Steve's appearance uh, starts, and then as we get into the conversation a little bit, because we're, we're playing around with some different settings and all that technical stuff that Jeff is going to do, we apologize up front for any sound deficiencies that may come along the way, especially at the start of, of Steve's appearance on the show. With that said, uh, I think the conversation you're going to hear is, is going to be great, because we're talking about Dark Shadows, kind of a continuation of... Uh, Our Dark Shadows uh, journey that started uh, last year, Steve was inspired by our show, and he said, I'm going to watch the entire Dark Shadows run in 2018, and then he did it in a matter of months. From that, we're going to, in addition to hearing him talk about that, we're going to be talking about the two movies that followed up the television series, House of Dark Shadows and Night of Dark Shadows, which uh, are both first-time viewings for me. And I don't even know what we're up to on you on viewings, but that Dark Shadows is near and dear to your heart. So we're catching it from three different perspectives. You know, Jeff, who's been part of of the Dark Shadows fan club, so to speak, for many, many years. You know, Steve, who has actually watched all of the shows this year. And me, who is still coming in a little bit green. I've seen bits and pieces of the show. And so now I'm going to be watching these movies with a different perspective than both steve or jeff we're all kind of coming into it rather different and so i think that's going to make the conversation that much more fun
1: we have our friend steve turek on the phone and he's going to tell us a little bit about his experiences at monster bash steve
0: take it away well first hi guys and um, one one thing that was sad about the experience was that you guys were not able to make it you know oh, good answer no,
2: thank you yeah good evening. yeah We've already making those plans for next year. I'm already anxiously awaiting for the, uh, the hotel room block to open up. I panicked when Derek put the link on Facebook and I went there and it's like the hotel's not taking reservations. There's no rooms available. And I'm like, are they already booked up? Come to find out that they're not opening up the rooms, I think until like the second week of July. So here in the, Yeah, so here, well, yeah, as we record this just mere days away, I'm definitely going to be getting getting the room reserved because there's no other way to do Monster Bash than to stay there in the hotel. That's the best way to do it. And I assume you stayed there this year, Steve?
0: Yeah, I stayed there this year again. It does make it so nice because you can just literally walk up to your room and take a rest or drop all stuff that you picked up at the dealer room, all that fun stuff. This year was different than last year. Part of it, you two guys weren't there. Um, also, I was helping Derek out of this table. That, that was that was an interesting experience because his table was literally the hallway that you go to get down to the registration area. You have to go right by Derek's table to do it, which led to a lot of people asking us, oh, we're here to register, so our common phrase was registration's down the hall on your left. Well, you know, that's
1: to- one thing I never saw. I didn't see anyone post a picture of Derek's
2: table.
0: There is one I know I put on with the Monster Bash one where he was interviewing – um, one of the, um, the stars from the day of the trip the uh, okay. ticket, Junia day. So, uh, so if, if you want, that, I can forward you guys one. Yeah, I saw one picture, and it was more of a he was standing
2: at his table. Maybe Dominic was sitting at the table with him. That's the only one I've seen as well too. I didn't I didn't see um, as much as as I thought maybe that
3: that I would see.
1: But, yeah, it sounded like it was prime real estate. I mean, if you listen to the last couple episodes of Monster Kid Radio, people are walking by, he's grabbing them, playing the classic five. It just sounded like it would have been amazing to be there. I know it would have.
0: Oh, yeah, well, you couldn't get by You know, so he was like, was it good or bad? We were there. (laughs) And um, which made it nice because um, my room was – I could literally take the stairs right down and right there at the ticker um, table there, at the registration table. So I was right on that part of the hotel. So they made it quick and easy. I was just go up, I was just on the third floor and I'd just pop up and down instead of the, taking the elevator.
1: Nice, nice. So you moved into the dealer room, what what you buy? Did you get any treasure?
0: I'll call it treasure. My wife might not, but <laughs> <laughs> That was one thing working Derek's table. and Actually, I told him, I said, you're saving my wallet because I'm staying at his table and I'm staying out of the dealer room as much. Yeah. This year, my daughter came with me, Michaela, and Ben came with me last year and he came again this year. So I went with her into the dealer room and we stopped by Terry's table. for It's terrific. And I ended up picking up a Godzilla garden gnome where it's it's eating a bunch of other gnomes.
2: Oh, I've got that. I've got that on my, my back deck, actually. I got that for Father's Day last year. That's an awesome little gift, yeah.
0: Oh, I saw that, and I'm like, I know I'm getting this. And the other thing I got was the Vincent Price action figure, I guess you can say, from the Raven. And the, oh. and I got Victoria Price to sign it. Was was a there was, The guy had a used one and a new one, and the used one had, was still in the box and everything. But And I, I like to display my stuff, so I was like, give me the used one. She signed the box. I'm going to keep the box, but I'm going to pull it out and display it. But it was a. Like, oh, oh, that is
1: awesome! I've seen that. That's on my
2: wish list. Oh.
0: Is that is that one of those like you got last year, Jeff?
2: After that. You know? No, I don't think so. I think it, is it in a a big box with a flap
0: on the front. a flap on the front. It has, it has a, it, it's got it's in a big box, but no flap on the front. You can actually see right to the figure. Oh. Huh. So it might be a little different.
1: Yeah, but he's got the clothes on, right? Yes. I mean, it's not a molded thing. He's a fully dressed action figure.
0: Correct. And he has parts where you can change. You can put the raven on him and the other stuff. and I think you can change his head. I haven't pulled it out the play with him yet.
1: Well, I guess that's a good thing that I wasn't there because we may have had to arm wrestle for that. Well, there was two
2: of them. Well, yeah, but I... you'd make me buy the new one. Well, the Magic kidding. of the Internet. I, I just pulled it up. That is a very cool figure. If it's the one I'm looking at, Real Toys, I think, is the name of it.
0: Uh I'm not sure up the top because I got it upstairs right now. But blue, it was just, the the blue robe. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You you would have got that, Jeff. I know you. You would have got it. <laughs>
0: well, see, see, yep. you would have got the one. I would have got the other. It been, and, and he was he marked them down. Like the new one was sixty. He was selling it for fifty.
1: Oh my gosh! That's
0: great. So you would have had the brand new for fifty dollars and Victoria Price would have signed it for nothing. She didn't charge anything for autographs or pictures.
1: Oh, wow. Don't tell me that. Yeah, I think the that's one. because I heard yeah. that's because her father never did, so she is carrying on that tradition.
0: Oh, she was wonderful. It was just you know not, not to make you guys feel that's in the You know, you made a choice.
2: <laughs> well, Victoria uh, Price is the one that I, I that, that bothered me not being able to to meet her she was supposed to be at the previous year's bash and canceled i know early on i was looking forward to that and when we made the decision that that was one i still kept thinking i was like man she's someone that i really wanted to to hear speak
0: and and to to meet
1: one more question on the dealer room was the guy there that had the distinctive dummies those are those action figures in the the bubble packs that are you know unauthorized hammer characters
0: um, uh, I'm not sure. There was there was a guy there that had a lot of action figure type stuff. It might have been the same one. You know,
1: that was my downfall last year. I had to buy a two-pack of uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Christopher Lee's Frankenstein
2: from Curse of Frankenstein. I think he was there, Jeff. I saw. Did you watch the video where they went through the dealer's room and posted it on Facebook? I thought I did. thought that I saw the that table there so in that mm-hmm. video. So, you were at the table most of the time, Steve. Did, did you get to go watch any movies?
1: Uh, I, I guess they have them after the dealer room closes. That you can we,
0: we rotated through. We made sure there was coverage. There was um, Scott and Tracy Morris,
2: yeah.
1: um,
0: Dominique, um, who, had, who had an interesting travel get in there. She got stuck at some BWI, Baltimore Washington International Airport, for 24 hours because she missed the flight. She was planning on showing up on Thursday, and she showed up Friday morning. Uh, And she didn't know I lived in the Baltimore area. I literally could have drove her up, but she (laughs) didn't know. (laughs) No, I did get to see some movies that were playing during the dealer times. The Day of the Trippids, I hadn't seen that in a number of years. I wanted the kids and I to see it. And also, Junia Fay spoke afterwards, and that was just great. She was wonderful to do that. And then the next day, I saw The Body Snatchers. The Mad Magician for the first time, and um, which led into Victoria Price. Okay. And, of course, um, Dr. Kennedy, the St. Augustine Monster, the silent movie about uh, 20 to 30 minutes. So those are the movies I was able to see.
1: You got a seat for Victoria Price, and huh? I think Jonathan said he, there was a fire alarm and some confusion, and he didn't end up getting a seat in for Victoria Price.
0: Well, yeah, I could have saved them on file the known because we were in the, we were in there for the movie. We ended up getting right back to the same thing. I think we were three or four rows away from the stage. Nice. I never saw the Mad Magician. It was really it was really interesting to see and enjoy. And so with the Mad Magician, one of the things I liked about it was it reminded me of like um, a Jessica Fletcher murder she wrote type story because the one lady was figuring out what all the problems were mixed with Columbo because you already know who the murderer is and how she goes about solving it. And I think it's great because it's all ages. Anybody can watch it any age group and I think really enjoyed his movie. And the other thing I like is it has some interesting dialogue. You know, where where Vincent Price's character comes off as I don't know how to put I'm trying to think of the word how to put out Vincent Price's character comes off but the one of the qu- questions he was asked like He made this one trap which just looks like a crematorium machine. The person says, so where'd you get the idea for this crematorium device? At a crematorium. You know, it's...
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of charm to any role that he does and and the Mm -hmm. little humor that he always injects into any role, even the most insidious of roles. There's those moments where he just kind of has that look or smile and he does kind of I can see the comparison to kind of the who done it. I mean, when you kinda of figured out you knew what happened, but it's like how do they how do they find out that he's the one that did it? But it is kind of like a Colombo or a murder she wrote type type story, which I I can definitely see the comparisons to that. I was gonna ask what were one or two things you got from Victoria Price's
1: presentation that you either didn't know or that you thought was just particularly compelling?
0: Well, a lot of the stuff I didn't know about her dad, but it was interesting how her relationship was between her and her stepmom and how she took the high road. She could have been somebody that was like, um, because obviously they didn't get along, but she said it made her dad happy. It brought his joy back. And to her, that was the most important thing. Even though her brother and her did not get along with her stepmom, um, because it, her dad was so happy and, and joyous during that time period, that that she felt it was it was worth it.
2: I can, I mean, I, I can speak, you know, on that on a personal level, having just remarried, seeing, you know, my that was kind of how my my daughter eventually kind of came to terms with things. She was still kind of struggling, you know, with the loss of her mom, you know, years ago. And and now, you know, but seeing how happy I am is what helped her kind of get through and and realize, you know, that that's what she needed to focus on and not so much just all the life changes. So that's interesting to hear that Victoria Price went through the same thing. I'm kind of approaching it from a different perspective, but... I think that's one reason why I was really looking forward to, to hearing her, because there's little bits and pieces that I've seen at Victoria Price. She just seems like a very real-life, genuine person that you know could be like your, your next-door neighbor. She doesn't come across with any type of, of air of pretentiousness that sometimes the children of Hollywood stars or legends tend to do. They kind of sometimes they they feel like they're entitled, and I've never got that feeling from any time I've seen her her speak.
0: I agree. You know, she was it was just wonderful hearing her talk about the the joy of living and enjoying life. And her ba- main main perp thing was saying yes, not yeah, but but yes. So when you're going to say yes, it means you will do it, not be wishy washy about something. And that that's her approach to life right now. As we, as all of our as all of us are getting older, you know, we've had a lot of years of experience where we thought a 20 would be the way to go. Obviously, when we got, when we get to 40 and 50 and stuff like that, we realize, you know, it's not, it doesn't work now. And and, and, and you have to adapt and change and then you find different ways as life changes with you.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that. that. That's that's a very deep and sound words for this podcast. Yeah, I've read her biography
1: of her father. I have not read any of her own books about her journey or her experience, but I definitely want to do that.
0: Well, I know she just did something recently, or it's just about to happen in Missouri, where she was uh, taking people around different places from her dad's birthplace, and then they were going to watch one of his movies and have like a little get-together afterwards. I think that happened right
2: after Monster Bash. I think she went from... Monster Bash to that, because I did see some posts that week after Monster Bash that she was in St. Louis at an event. Oh, and I actually went a couple
1: years ago to Vincentinial, which was would have been his 100th birthday, and they had a big weekend celebration in St. Louis, and I got to see her speak there.
0: I'm just glad that she was able to bring the joy that he brought to her, to us, to get an idea of what it was like growing. Like, if you would have had Vincent Price as a dad, you'd get a kind of a picture of what he would have been like.
1: Who else did you get to see speak?
0: I took an interesting approach. I knew Derek was recording, and so my theory was I'd be able to hear it on his podcast.
2: Right.
0: So I took those times to, to watch his table and help do that. So I was, it was one of those, like, okay, I could be here, I could be there. Derek's recording it, I'll still be able to get the general gist of it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Did they have the movie poster room? Was that there again this year?
0: Yes, it was. Lots of things that you want to buy that I have no money to buy. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, you know what I bought there last year that is appropriate for today? I bought a nice little quad movie poster of House of Dark Shadows.
0: You just have to rub it in, don't you?
1: (laughs) Hey, Mr. Vincent Price action figure.
0: (laughs) I will say I did pick up all the Gold Key Dark Shadows comics. You haven't had a chance to read them yet.
1: Those
0: are fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I pre-ordered the um, the newspaper strip, which should be coming sometime soon, I guess. I, I forgot to look up when it, whether it's August or September from Amazon.
2: Those newspaper strips are fun because they're kind of forgotten pieces of, of comic collecting. I got several volumes of Star Trek. When the movie came out in 79, it was in newspapers for several years. But it wasn't in the Wichita Eagle newspaper where I lived at the time. And so I had never seen those until they just came out in print in the last two or three years. Those are, it's kind of like, again, discovering this little lost piece of something you love that you've never seen before. Those are fun.
0: And that's what I'm looking forward to. It's just, I've never had a chance to read them. So it'll be my, it's like that, that first time, the new eyes, and it's like, ah, how did they do it? And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see who were the artists.
2: Well, and it's interesting that, because sometimes, uh, and I don't know anything about the the Dark Shadows comic strips, maybe Jeff does, but I'm interested to know if, if, like, if the people who did it actually had access to the source material, because there's actually UK Star Trek comics, uh, and this is the Star Trek reference for the episode, but uh, the people who did those, and, like, a lot of those gold-key Star Trek comics they were artists who had never seen an episode of Star Trek. They would see stills, and that's all they had to go off of, which is why when you read some of those early Star Trek comics, you're like, "No, that's not what they do. That's not what the transporter room looks like. That's not what they say. It's because they had nothing to go by except some still pictures, and here's the script, go ahead and draw some stuff to go along with it. But I'd love to find out more about the, the Dark Shadows if they actually watched the series or if they were European artists who had no access to, to the actual television show and were just going off stills and, and, and maybe some scripts. And if you've ever seen the first issue of the Marvel Star Wars
1: comic from my, maybe even before the movie came out, Darth Vader's green, and he has sort of a Bane-like... took Looking mask on his mouth. I mean, I think yeah. they started
2: that before. Well, Jabba the Hutt is human in that because they were going off some of the early, the early script, and you know they filmed it with a human before they were going to put the Jabba the Hutt image over, and then of course they did that years later. But uh, yeah, there's, there's Star Trek the motion picture the same way. The Marvel comic has several scenes and, and imageries imagery that that's not in the movie they were going off the original shooting script. So, Steve, is this what you were talking about when you mentioned yesterday
1: that we tend to, to talk a little bit, so you were going to reserve 12 hours for us? Because I don't know what any of this has to do with Monster Bash.
0: Well, that's the beauty of it. See, I'm, I'm a, I am love Star Trek the original because I grew up watching it in reruns all the time. Also, I, I watched Dark Shadows in reruns, but I never got to see the whole series until recently. Doctor Who... I started with the PBS of Tom Baker, and eventually I did a deep dive where I did every Doctor Who you could possibly watch going back from the the very first episode up that was available, so I'm pretty much current with all the Doctor Whos that have been out. It's just, it's a lot of the stuff that you guys like. I grew up watching the same things, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, so it's whichever one of you is trying to throw a reference in, I'm just like, I'm there with you. (laughs) (laughs) Great,
2: great.
1: So any final words about uh,
0: Monster Bash? Probably the, the biggest thing we did in Monster Bash was the unveiling of the list of the 100, top 100 monster movies and the top 20 Vincent Price movies that Derek and I um, collaborated on and put together by polling his listeners.
1: Yes, that's right. And I believe Derek put out a special episode to unveil that list. Well, I have to say I was completely satisfied because the number one was my number one. So to me, it was a perfect system and it all worked out how it should have.
2: (laughs) Well, I think with any list, any list can be relative depending on how you're feeling about a particular film that given day or what you've actually had the opportunity to see. And I don't think there's any of us have seen every single classic horror film there's always going to be, you know, the one or two or five or ten that we haven't seen that we're still re- still discovering or some film that hasn't been released, you know, publicly for years and, and gets rediscovered. So, you know, what I consider my favorites today, talk to me next week, that could very well possibly change because my tastes generally stay the same, but I may discover something or may look at something with a different... Uh, set of lenses, so I I find lists interesting uh, because it's a snapshot of of a particular time and then take that same picture the next week and it could look totally different.
1: Yeah, I've seen a couple movies since I voted on the list that I know I want to include next year, so that means a couple are going to have to drop off. I'm a big statistics guy at work with data and and reporting and everything, and I just I found every little tidbit of information you gathered from that to be very interesting. Anything that really surprised you?
0: I think what surprised me was, I said this in Derek's podcast, but I did go into a preconceived notion that a certain set amount of films would be on everybody's list. Like, I thought King Kong would be on every list. When you're talking about favorite monster movies, And it was on 54 of the 81 ballots. There was a significant amount of people that did not put King Kong in their top 20. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it was just interesting because you you go with this this, this preconceived notion and find out, oh, that's not even true. It's not even close to being true. (laughs) But I think what was most impactful, talking to people, and you actually, Jeff, said it in one of your earlier podcasts, I believe the journey of coming up with your top 20 favorites. I think that was the part that a lot of people that I talked to that had voted, and I know from myself that had voted and from you, and I'm assuming Rich also, was coming up with the top 20 and from 1967 or earlier, and then you're, you, you know, your first 10 of them are easy to do, and then that last 10, it gets a little tough.
2: Well, you go through an editing process, right? Because I remember I came up with like, a bigger list and then had to sit there and pick and choose and move this one to this position because I wanted to make sure it made the list which meant I had to bump something else from the list and yeah it, it can get a bit nerve wracking and then you put it aside and you go back to it the next day and now you're thinking sometimes entirely different and you're like well, what was I thinking putting that at number five that should have been number two yeah it's it's an interesting process. And I think what I had learned from myself because I keep a a ranking
1: of movies is that just in general, I tend to favor movies from the seventies. Those are movies that over time I have always ranked very high. So of course I had to eliminate those from this and that was a, a wake up call. Wow. I didn't realize that, you know, when you look back over time, you do develop these sort of preferences that you don't know about. So I had to dig deeper to find the older movies and it, it, was just a a really cool experience because it brought some of those back into the forefront that I may not have given as much attention or thought about lately.
0: And and that's what I mean. I think that was the great part of, to me, that was the fun part of the list, the top hundred list for everybody to look at is you're looking at films and you're thinking, Oh, I I haven't seen that one in a while. Or what is that one? Most, I, I think of the people that go to monster bash that are older, that have seen a lot of movies probably have seen all the top 100 movies or at least the majority of them, but they might not have seen certain movies in a long time. And this will get them out to say, oh, i got to watch this one again or that one again and, and, you know, and that kind of thing because this this is in the top 10. I didn't think it would be that high, but let me rewatch it and see why it is there. And I I think that's the thing. It just shows a lot of the joy that people bring to their monster movies and, and their fun with movies in general.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what happened to me as I was listening to the reveal, you know, in my head, mentally making a list. Okay, I need to see that, 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 and that. I I forget, did you collect age information, uh, how old people were? Have you made any correlation or interesting facts related to that?
0: Most of us are between 40 and 70, (laughs) and male, which was kind of... I was hoping—we did have a a decent portion of the 30 to 40 range. Uh, We only had one person under 20, and I know Ben, my son, voted, so it was a male under 20 had to be Ben. (laughs) But there was only 81 votes, and I think mainly because a lot of people didn't know the poll was out there. now, with next year, the poll will hopefully have a lot more votes. My goal is for it to get 150—at least 150 votes, almost double— and then be over two hundred votes you know and keep increasing year after year and then it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. The other thing we have a lot of people that voted for movies that were after nineteen sixty seven and and I mentioned this to Derek I'm not sure if we're going to do it or not, but I was thinking of altering the a the the, the year range of the, the poll and and adding other things to it and that would be uh, one bracket let's I look at it like comic books where you have the golden age silver age bronze Age type bracketing the golden or classic age would be movies nineteen fifty nine or earlier then nineteen sixty to nineteen eighty nine would be another bracket where people could vote for twenty movies and then um nineteen ninety to present hmm. well
2: nineteen seventies can get Early to mid-70s can get kind of hazy because you still have Hammer Films making movies, although they were infusing maybe a little more violence or a little more nudity. They're still classic Hammer Films. I mean Vincent if, Price was still if, making movies. Vincent Price was still making movies, and, and if you look at a, you know, is there really anything different from, say, any of his early 70s films to something he did maybe in the, in the mid to late 60s other than, fashions or whatever, they still feel like a classic film. So it is tough to say, you know, '67 is a definitive cutoff, because there's definitely some films in the early to mid-70s which could fit into a, a classic horror genre.
0: The reason we did it was because Night of the Living Dead, as Derek usually used in 1968 as his, his game changer, I joke because I was born in 68 and anything prior to me was classic and anything with me is current. You broke the mold after that. The reason I want to do it this way is I feel a lot of people because of the, they had the year screw up by making it three different zones. Even though we would probably put out what the modern ones are, we would not emphasize that at Monster Bash. We'd emphasize the more the first two. I would feel it would, be, it, would it would take those people from voting for movies, which I did have somebody vote for a movie uh, that came out this year. It, it would give them an understanding of where what they should be doing more, I think.
2: Well, we had a discussion about Monster Bash in the past where the thought is that as we all get older and the audience for these classic films admittedly gets a little bit smaller, it's interesting to see, flash forward 10 years from now, and what Monster Bash is going to look like 10 years from now. Is it going to look the same Is there going to be an influence of, say, more films from the 70s, which at that point will be 50 years old? I mean, that's classic stuff, you know? 50-year-old movies are old movies. You know, I I wonder if in order to keep something like A Monster Bash alive, is at some point it's going to creep into films that we don't want to acknowledge now. We want to say, well, no, it's after the cutoff, but... Another 10 years from now, that might be something we see is that some of these films that are going to be 50 years old may start to become more accepted as a classic horror film, whereas now we're kind of saying, no, Night of the Living Dead for the cutoff. It'll be interesting to see what happens in about 10 years from now. I see some other film festivals that have been going on for a long time have had to adapt as time has gone on and and I'm not talking just like horror films, there's this film film festivals in general, there's one that I know and I can't remember the name of it, but it ended a couple years ago because simply, they they said very simply, their audience had, had gotten too old, that a lot of the people who were annual attendees got to where they couldn't travel anymore and they found that their audience had shrunk to the point where a lot of what made that film event special? They said these movies were on Turner Classic Movies or on home video, and they were running out of of unique films to play and running out of an audience. And they they decided that after forty some years, they they stopped doing the film festival. They decided it was time to call it quits. So I, I'm interested to see what how Monster Bash might evolve over the next ten years or so. And my my hope for that is
1: someone just like Steve who's taking his children. And we talked to Ben last year. We know he is a genuine, I would say, a monster kid of a new generation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that gives me hope. And I, I heard on Derek's recordings, I heard kids, and I heard families. But but you being there, Steve, what do you see, and what do you have to say on this subject?
0: Well, as you guys saw last year, there were a lot of people that are bringing their families. And um, I had one particular guy, um, His name is Daniel, and he had his son, Nathan, with him, who was four years old. And I think every day, Nathan and I had at least a five to 15-minute discussion about the monster movie list. This four-year-old knows his kaiju movies. He was best probably in, in our little area there. He, was, he knew more about it than we did. I mean, he, he knew his movies, and he doesn't overthink them. He knows Godzilla should be King Kong because Godzilla has fire breath. I mean, that's just an absolute... And, but also, he knows John Agar. He knows the, the you know the, the brain from Planet Eros. You know, <laughs> and he's four years old. But of course, his dad is probably like in his what late twenties, early thirties. You see a lot of other parents that are in that same range there. So if you think about, it, a lot of them are there every year. Or so you have with the Monster Bash. You have more of um, a wider age range. It's not all just graybeards. And um, and I, I think Monster Bash does evolve a little bit with having movies that are getting into the later 60s, early 70s on occasion, you know. So it's 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 I think it, and also the dealer room shows that because they can go there and get stuff that are in other other to be beyond what we might consider the classic age group or, or classic era. So I I don't see it affecting the bash yet. I think the problem they might have is guests, Um, you know, and that's where they, that's where they have to start bringing in movies that might be um, more in the seventies just because they, in order to get guests to bring people there.
2: Well, yeah, we had talked about that too, is that, you know, it's, I think it's one thing to have the children like a Victoria price, you know, it's another when You're getting it to the grandchildren. I'm going to a, a film festival here in Kansas city in September it's a day long film festival on Buster Keaton and W.C. Fields, and they're bringing in the grandchildren. I, I have actually heard one of W.C. Fields' granddaughters speak uh, last year, and she knows a lot about her grandfather, and she can speak very intelligently, and she's carrying on the tradition. But there is that bit of a disconnect is like, well, you know, not only is she not the child, she's the grandchild and while they're able to speak and, and kind of carry on, even they're getting older. I mean, he, admittedly, even his grandchildren, you know, are probably, you know, five or ten years away from not doing the speaking engagements anymore. So I think you're right. That's the one thing is, like, there's just not going to be the availability of guests or children of guests. It's simply not going to be available at some point. I think that's why you're going to have to kind of either run a convention without guests or try to adapt accordingly and and maybe expand that that time coverage a little bit. Well, do you think the guests might
1: be more of the film historians and, and speakers like Frank Delostrito and Gregory May? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what attendance was like at their presentations, but they, I just wonder if that might be a shift Towards more of that type of guest and presentation than actual celebrities or relatives.
0: I did stick my head in the door, and um, they they both were packed.
1: Yeah, so I think there's interest in that, and there may be even more interest in that going forward with the younger generation
2: that doesn't know the history. Well, I think everyone you know, like Frank Elastre or like Tom. There Hoover,
0: could be, but I
2: think was there, and he's well known. I mean, he's he's written Bibles on on, yeah. on monster films and has an online presence, so... I just think we may be the future guests of Monster Bash because we know about horror movies. I'm charging $80 for my (laughs) autograph.
0: And you'll be at table by yourself. I know,
2: yeah. I'm not a William Shatner status
1: (laughs) yet. Sorry, I haven't reached that. Steve, I want to thank you for doing that list. I mean, I know it was a lot of work, and I think it's, like I say, just fascinating, and I know Derek appreciates it and appreciates all your help at Monster Bash, so thanks for telling us what it was like making us feel like we were there a little bit but i am eager to talk some dark shadows and richard you know mentioned his little star trek reference well we're going to have a whole bunch of, of dark shadows references here today let's start out you already mentioned it you went on your journey you watched every single episode of dark shadows my first question is you to me had a reasonable timeline you were going to do it before the end of the year that's great. When did you actually finish?
0: I finished in 4 months.
1: I, I, that just boggles my mind. How
2: how did you do that? And how pale well, are you? Have you seen some sunlight since then? I'm concerned for your health.
0: <laughs> well, I am lucky in that the job I work at I'm able to watch movies, TV shows or whatever while on the job.
1: Now, so, so can, you you told me that and I was curious because You know, once in a while I might be able to do that at work or whatever, but are you, is it just like on in the background or can you really give it your
0: focus and attention? Oh, I give it my focus and attention. When I have to check the equipment, I pause everything, and then I work on the equipment. I work in automated enforcement services, so it's a a police job in a civilian role. So we're out there in the field, as our supervisor put it, as long as you're checking the equipment and making sure everything's running correct, he doesn't really care what we do during that time. Some people will, I mean, now I'm like either reading a book, um, doing some, uh, educational stuff for myself or watching a movie. But for then, I was just focused on the dark shadows. And because the way it was set up being that it's a soap opera style, it's just, you get, you get addicted. Did
1: you, and, ever, um, did you- just, it came time to check the equipment, and you were just in a daze because you had been mesmerized or hypnotized by what... And I'm not just meaning the content of the show, but as much as I love it, parts get a little repetitive. I think you mentioned the Dream Curse part did stretch on a little long. Job aside, how were you reacting to so much in such a short time?
0: Well, I think it, yeah, there were some, some storylines that were a little... A little tedious. The dream one was one. Um, the one Elizabeth Stoddard gets blackmailed by Jason McGuire. That storyline went on too long and that kind of stuff. So there are were, there were a few times when storylines would be not as engaging as, as other storylines. And became, but there, it's a lot of times they would repeat certain things over again. Uh, without, then I would sometimes pull on my iPad and I would be playing like a little mini game or whatever. And just and just, just waiting for it to get done the rehash. <laughs> right. What? And is that for that storyline that was
1: your favorite?
0: My favorite storyline is the seventeen ninety five when they when they first go back in time. That's my favorite one. And we learned because how became Ange- a vampire. Yeah, we learned how Barnes became a vampire, Angelique's introduced, you know, Victoria Winters, Witch Trial, Nathan Forbes gets to be, a, it was a total cad, you know, it, it's just, it's just wonderful, you know, because you had Joel Carruthers, who was playing, I think for him, Joe, the whole time, and always being this, this old, oh, good old Joe, good old Joe, and finally they gave him a role where he could just be this evil character that's, that's manipulative and everything else, and looking at it for himself, and I just, I just loved how he played that role, and, and of course Jonathan Fred. Oh. Uh, how did you like the pre-Barnabas episodes? Well, I enjoyed the pre-Barnabas episodes. Um, I, one, I liked Mitchell Ryan, and when he left the series, it, it was it was very tough. When he played Dirk Beb- um, Burke Devlin, so I lo- so him being in there was was a great force. It, I just liked his acting style. I loved the Phoenix storyline, but I also liked the murder of Bill Malloy story arc that went on. That's when they started introducing the ghost and everything else. Really also had Thayer David who was playing Matthew. It was just, and of course he played so many characters during the show, but his acting ability, it's just its just a lot of great actors that were in there that were from theater background that came in and for different parts. And it just, it's just just amazing how, they, how the, wonderful it was all put together. But yeah, I did like the early stuff. I hated, oh, I hated David Collins in the early part. Oh, it was, oh my God! And 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 Colleen Stoddard in the early part was just like, how stupid can you be? You know, they tell you don't do that, and she just runs right. Oh, Burke! Oh, oh, it was just, oh, jeez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Were there any storylines that confused you? I Imagine over time, if you don't watch it all at once, you might kind of forget or kind of wonder what's happening, but. Watching it so compacted, did it all make sense, or were there were there some head
2: scratchers for you?
0: No storylines confuse me. I thank comic books for that. Following the X Men with all their time travels and everything like that—if you can follow the X Men comics, you can and understand what's going on. You can easily follow Dark Shadows.
2: <laughs> I think what I experienced when I was watching Dark Shadows is that this is a series I think best viewed from beginning to end. As with any serialized series, I don't think you can just pick and choose random episodes, which is where I struggled, because even going through that 50th anniversary set, which was a very nice set and had a nice selection of episodes, really all it's giving you is a taste. You come away with it thinking, this is something I want to watch, or no, it's not for me. And I came away with, okay a bit of confusion because the storylines were jumping around, but I enjoyed what I tasted and I wanted to, to watch more. Would you agree that that, if you're going to dive into dark shadows, the only way to do it is to do like you did and just watch it from beginning to end.
0: I feel that way. I've always been one that likes to start at the beginning because when you get to a little, it's like when you read a comic book, when a lot of us, we we all started comic books, like with Superman, Batman, we weren't there when it started, so then they'll refer, like they'll, they'll refer back to a prior issue. And you're always wondering, well, what happened in that issue, which leads you to the back issue market. But where, where if you had a chance to start at the beginning, then you can say, oh, yeah, I remember that happened. You know, you you have some memories of it. And I think it sets the characters up better. And because and, if you come in at episode 209, where where Jonathan, Fred, and Barnabas Collins all come into play. The, there was the good part and the bad part. He, he's a great character, and he was a great actor doing it. But then certain actors that were doing excellent jobs ended up with a lot of their, their time on screen. Their storylines got sh- shrunk. And so you're listening, when you're following from that point on, you're like, well, who is this person? You really, they really don't go into any detail Battle, And I, I think like Louis like Edmonds, Roger Collins' portrayal, is one of the characters that's affected the most as as time goes on in the series. And we really, you know, lose that concept of Roger Collins and how he was, you know. And and, and Lewis Edmonds is such a great actor because he did such a great job playing all the other Collins that they had in the past. And um, so he did have other roles, but it was just, I think if you come in episode 209 and you're missing all that, and of course you have no idea really who Mitchell Ryan is because he leaves shortly after they switch over.
1: So did you find that overall, looking at the whole thing, they did a pretty good job with continuity? And what I mean is, you mentioned coming in late and not having a history. Were characters that were the same characters consistent from beginning to end? Or did you notice uh, some shifts that maybe were unexplained or that maybe happened when they came back from a different time back to the present?
0: That's a good question. Um, I think... Probably the biggest character shift would be like Maggie Evans when 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 Victoria Winters left because they're trying to now make her that type of character and um, it, which was different than her starting off as the wise cracking smart like waitress to so now she's the governess so that, I think that was probably one that was changed a lot. Also Elizabeth Collins Elizabeth Stoddard she starts off as a stronger character and they started to undermine that with maybe it's one of the reasons I don't like the blackmail storyline is like, here, she's a stronger character. I can't, I could not see from what they established her earlier, her being blackmailed for so long. She would, she would have put her foot down so much sooner. And, and that, cause it didn't fit with the way they established her earlier. Yeah, that
1: makes sense. And then what about the conclusion, the way they wrapped it up? I know it was abrupt, but, were you satisfied or were you screaming that you wanted more?
0: If they knew it was gonna end, they should have ended it when they um came back in time. When it was still Jonathan Fritt playing Barnabas Collins, not when he came back oh, was it wasn't the character's name? It was Bramwell. Yeah, Bramwell. Because that that storyline didn't get changed to to, to air out so to speak that one you could tell they rushed it because they knew they were going to end the series and I, I enjoyed the story arc i mean it was nice i know jonathan Frit wanted to play something different than barnabas but if, i think if you were watching it and if you wanted to have a definitive ending when uh, barnabas dr julia hoffman and professor stokes go up the stairs and walk back through the door and I think if I remember right, Barnabas looks back and then shuts the door. If you if you don't want to go to the next storyline, you could just end it right there and you'd be perfectly satisfied because the next part has just like a totally different area it goes to. I, I look at that as if, if if you want to have a definitive stopping spot for Dark Shadows, it's, it's, there's no there's no more Barnabas after that.
1: Right. Yeah. So is this an experience you would recommend?
0: I would recommend. I don't know if I'd recommend doing it in four months. You know, you gotta be a little a little crazy. I was starting to feel a little bit like um Renfield at the end there. It's like you know, just getting a little 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 nutty because I was doing fifteen, seventeen episodes a day.
1: Are there any disclaimers you'd issue? I mean any qualifications or or warnings you'd give people if they were going to attempt this? I
0: don't know. I mean right now it's on what Amazon Prime for free. You know, if you have Amazon Prime so just pace yourself. I mean, they're t- what twenty-one, twenty-two minute episodes, so you can easily watch two or three a day. Um, I would recommend you probably, you know, do two to five episodes every couple of days because that pretty much finishes a week of what they were broadcasting, and then you can, you know, I didn't watch, I didn't watch any on the weekends, so I always made sure I took a couple of days off, so I wasn't constantly watching. I wasn't watching it every day.
1: Well, we sure enjoyed you going through the journey and in, in the post that you made. You started out strong, and then your posts kind of got further and further apart, and I was a little worried that, you know, you'd fallen down deep in a, in a rabbit hole and maybe couldn't stop watching and long enough to make a report or something. But I'm glad you got through the other side and that it was a worthwhile experience for you.
0: One thing I want to mention, bringing in a Star Trek reference, and it's kind of a an elusive one, there were a lot of red shirts in Dark Shadows. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: If you came in as a doctor role, unless you were Dr. Julio Hoffman, your time was limited. If you came in as a psychic and you were going to try to solve a ghost problem, your time was extremely limited.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I've been watching uh, Supernatural series since the very beginning, and that's kind of the running gag. is If you're in the, the teaser before the opening credits, You've got a like a you know ninety nine percent chance
0: you're not going to make it to the opening credits. Yeah, but so that, that, that to me was just it was just kind of funny when you're watching it. It's just like ah. but this person. There were certain characters I liked. I'm like, oh no, they're playing the doctor. They're, they're, they're oh they're not going to make it long. <laughs> Do
1: you make any other observations like
0: that? But that was the main one that stuck as a reoccurring theme. But the beauty of it is, what I liked about it, because they kept going back in time or bringing people in, if, if you liked a certain actor or actress, there was a good chance they were going to come back in a different role.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I love about Dark Shadows and even the movies when we get into talking about those, is that you see the familiar faces, and it, it was fun to see them take on different roles.
0: I was still, I was still surprised when Abe Bagoda popped in for <laughs> two different two different characters. I was like, that's a Bogota. <laughs> yeah,
1: and uh, Marsha Mason, wasn't she? She popped in there.
0: Oh, yeah. It, it's. But, I mean, it's just... But you, And they had some stage... I forgot what I put it on my Facebook thing. There was this one lady who played one of the mediums. It was, I think it was during the Ghost of Quentin storyline. And she came in there. She was only in it for a, a few episodes, two or four episodes, somewhere in that range. And she was just doing... You could tell that... You knew she wasn't going to be there long because they really were featuring her. <laughs> and, but she did such a great job. You almost wish that she had more or like they had some backstory where if they went back in time, they ran into her again or something like that. Because she did such a wonderful job. And, and, so, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's always just, I guess, good to go out on top.
1: Right. Anything final you want to say on that before we get into the movies?
0: Uh, no, not really. Except that it's it's very enjoyable, and I think everybody should try to go through it. It it is a lot of episodes. I mean, really, it's it's not one thousand two hundred forty five; it's one thousand two hundred twenty five. But it's it's still a lot of episodes to go through. And if you just do it and pace yourself, I mean, you, it, it, the show itself gets addictive, and then you just really can't stop watching.
2: That's right. I think that if you watch that, if you get that fiftieth anniversary set, that gives you a taste. That's going to tell you, I think, if if this is your thing or not, because it's, it is a soap opera that happens to be a gothic horror theme. But there's a particular style, and a lot of people, you know, get turned off by the imperfections, which to me, when I was watching that 50th anniversary set, I, I thrived on those little imperfections, the random sound guy walking on stage during the end credits or the occasional flub of the lines. That's classic Doctor Who stuff right there. I mean, if if you like watching classic Doctor Who, I think you'll love Dark Shadows because it's that same slower pace, imperfections, wobbly sets, which to me just, just has a lot of charm to it. I think that's a good place to pause because that's the very first question I want to ask about Dark Shadows is
1: is related to that point. So let's wrap this section up. Uh, We'll play the trailer for House of Dark Shadows and do our little synopsis. Steve, as you know, that's always what we do. So let's pause for that for a sec, and uh, we'll be right back. to see how the vampires do it.
2: House of Dark Shadows,
1: where death is a way of life. Julia, do you believe in the existence of vampires? <laughs> Not really,
2: Natural love. House of dark shadows.
0: Rated G.P.
2: In this abbreviated reimagining of the legend of Barnabas Collins, the 175-year-old vampire is released from his chained coffin by the greedy handyman Willie Loomis. Presenting himself as a cousin from England, the descendant of the original Barnabas Collins, he wreaks havoc at Collinwood, the family estate and becomes one-third of a bizarre love triangle. Welcome back. Steve, as you know, we always try
1: to set the scene for the movies that we talk about. We talk about the era or the time in which it was released. So Richard has some very interesting information about the
2: 1970s. Let's uh, see what he's got to share with us. Well, you know, with 1970s we've been talking about... Even though it's a new decade, we're, we're past Night of the Living Dead, we're still dealing with classic horror films. And I thought it was interesting that in 1970, there were three Dracula films released that year with Christopher Lee. You had Taste the Blood of Dracula, which was released, I believe, in the UK in 69, but it was a U.S. release in early 1970. And then by the end of the year, we had Scars of Dracula... And then in the midst of all that, Christopher Lee also played a different Count Dracula in Jess Franco's Count Dracula. So Christopher Lee was in the thick of his, of his vampire phase. Interestingly enough, Peter Cushing did not star in the Frankenstein movie that year, Horror of Frankenstein, the one hammer film he didn't star in. Now he was doing a lot of films around this time, and I don't know the history of that particular movie well enough because actually I have never seen Horror of Frankenstein. That is a a hammer deficiency I have. But I know that Peter Cushing's wife died on January 14th, 1971. Even though he was still very busy, this was a a life-changing event for Cushing, and and most would say that post-1971, Cushing looked older, he aged quite a bit, and clearly was a very sad man for the rest of his life. He missed his wife, and he never did bounce back from that. But he continued to make a ton of horror films around this time period. Another legend, Boris Karloff. One of his last films, Cauldron of Blood, was finally released more than a year after his death. And I believe Cauldron of Blood may be his... It may be his last true film that he made, or if he made that, maybe before... Targets, I can't quite remember the time frame, but I know that it was prior to those final four Mexican films that he made, which are pretty much universally recognized as terrific films, but uh, Cauldron of Blood was held from release for several years. In the movies, big movies, we had Patton, M.A.S.H., Honor Majesty's Secret Service, television, a lot of sitcoms, we had All in the Family, Brady Bunch, Mary Tyler Moore, But we also had Rod Serling's Night Gallery was playing on TV at this time. Uh, Musically, it was a transitionary year. We had Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water was the number one song of the year. It was also from their final album. The Beatles disbanded in 1970. We lost Jimi Hendrix. We lost Janis Joplin. The Apollo 13 accident occurs, which was later turned into a film in 1995 with Tom Hanks. I thought this was interesting. Lava lamps were all the rage in 1970, and they cost $20, and now here in 2018 you can buy lava lamps again, and they're still $20. <laughs> the price has not changed on those. Finally, the, this is kind of an interesting little tidbit. The world population was 3.6 billion, and 205 million of those were living in the United States. Now in 2018, as uh, I think the halfway point, they just did a a tally, the world population is 7.6 billion, so it's more than doubled in that 48-year time period. 326 million are living in the U.S., so we haven't doubled, but we certainly have grown a bit in the last 48 years, but that world population thing was, I thought was an interesting number, because supposedly... We can only sustain ourselves until 10 billion. More than 10 billion, there's not enough on the earth to sustain the population. And then we start going down the right route of uh, Soylent Green, and that's a whole nother podcast. But that, that's what was happening in 1970. Oh, and Nixon was president, so uh, take that for what it's worth. Well,
1: way to bring us down, Rich. <laughs> well, and of course, in 1970... House of Dark Shadows came out August 24th, it was released. We talked about the 50th anniversary set of the TV series, how that might be a way to introduce people to Dark Shadows. Would watching House of Dark Shadows be a good way to introduce you to Dark Shadows if you had never seen the series?
2: I had problems with House (laughs) of Dark Shadows. I really wanted to love this movie more than I did. I think one of the biggest problems with House of Dark Shadows is that They were basically adapting it from a televised storyline that was intended to be serialized, that was intended to be told over the stretch of multiple episodes, multiple weeks. They tried condensing so much, reimagining the storyline, so to speak, but they tried to condense so much into the 90-minute time frame or however long the movie was, and, and I felt like, you know, because what I, what I read was that Dan Curtis originally intended to simply just edit footage from the TV series and make a movie out of it into a feature length film. And the studio said that's just not going to work. And so he essentially reimagined it, rewrote it. And there's a lot crammed into this movie. And I, I hate to say it, but in, in my opinion, I think that there was some very bad editing. It seemed very choppy. Um, And there was a general assumption that we knew who the characters were. They don't introduce the characters properly. So going into this movie cold turkey, not knowing anything about Dark Shadows, it's not, I don't think it's going to entice you to want to watch more because you really don't get to know who the characters are. It's assumed that we kind of know who they are. So you don't think people would want to watch the series then so they could get to know the characters?
1: Were any of them intriguing enough that they would say, hey, I want to watch that chunk of
2: episodes? Well, I possibly. I mean, I love Jonathan Fred. He, he just as fantastic as Barnabas Collins, and, you, and he certainly steals the scenes and anything that he's in in this movie. I just felt like it was a very kind of disjointed script that it, it's... it might... You might watch this and say, well, that really wasn't what I enjoyed, you know, I wanted to, to expect, or wasn't. You know, I didn't enjoy it, but I did like Jonathan Fritt as Barnabas Collins. Maybe I'd like to see him in something else. It's possible that you would say, well, I kind of liked what I saw, but I want to see more. Now, the downside is, of course, then you're going to see something very different because you're not going to have the same production values, which clearly, from a visual perspective, this film looked great. Um, I loved it visually. I loved how they used the main television theme, which I thought was a nice little uh, addition. But hardier, right? I mean, more oh, orchestration. I, of... I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, visually and, and, and the, the score, everything is enhanced as it should be for the big screen. So, well, Steve, what
1: do you think in answer to that question? How do you feel about uh, whether it would inspire you to watch the series if you had never seen it?
0: I saw this Two days, no, three days after I finished my Dark Shadows run, and I started the movies on that Monday. And there is no way in the world I think anybody coming in cold can follow this movie. It, is, it's, it's, um, it, 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 it assumes way too much. It has, a, as Rich already said, it's filmed great. There are certain actors that do a great job because they actually have roles and time to do them. And I think that's the key thing. What needed to be edited was the script. There was characters in here that did not need to be here, and if they would take out about half the characters and then take out there's no reason to have Barnabas go old. I mean there's a certain things that are in there because they're in the T V show, but when you're doing a ninety seven minute movie or whatever amount of time it was, there's no reason to have it in it. It was too much in it. They tried to put five hours of material Into a 97 minute movie, and which makes it a mess. And I think, and and that's, I mean, I enjoyed it because it was like, oh, this is like a quick um, highlights of all the stuff I just saw. But I I don't think anybody coming in cold would know because, as Rich already said, they don't really introduce anybody, and it's, it's, and they try to, like I said, if, if they just get rid of half the characters, there's no reason for. David Collins to be there. There's really no reason for Elizabeth Stoddard to be there because they don't really do anything with her. It's they, they could have had a really good movie. This 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 had the bones to be extremely good. Instead, it was just a a love project of the TV show. And I think they just they were in love with their their storylines too much, and they needed a a different screenwriter. I
2: think that yeah. I think what you said is they threw characters in. Not because they were needed in the movie, but because they could, and they were doing it for that visual recognition. Because of course, Dark Shadows was still going on the air at the time. so I think they just kind of felt like, well, hey, we want this person and this person and this person in, but they don't enhance the storyline any. They're just kind of there, and then you don't see them again.
1: All right. So I appreciate your opinions. <laughs> The the thing is, I can never be objective about this because I have never seen it not knowing Dark Shadows. And I take the completely opposite approach that I think it is an excellent retelling of the story that's very concise, that includes all the things that need to be there. I, I know what you're saying, but I look at it as like an efficiency of storytelling. They did this on the TV series a lot. You say a character's not there they always explain where that character is. I think actually the screenplay is quite good because, okay, Elizabeth's not there. Where is she? Oh, someone mentioned she's been sedated. She's upstairs. It's not like they've been ignored in the story. They may not be playing a big part, but they are part of the story and they're there. They do that several times in the story Explain. I will admit David is probably the one that disappears after seemingly playing a big part at the beginning, but most everyone else, I think, Uh, I just didn't, like I say, if I had never seen Dark Shadows, I don't know what I would think, but I, having seen it, I think it is a great representation, I think it's very efficient in the storytelling, hits all the right notes, Growing Old had a great part of it, that's the whole reflection of Julia and the the love triangle uh, with Maggie and Barnabas and Julia and her jealousy, and in fact, I think that's played better in the movie. I think it's clearer in such a concise, concise format of her feelings for Barnabas. The way they, you know, Stokes realizes, "Oh, you're in love with him." That that's clear, and it explains why she would do what she would do. I just absolutely love this movie uh, for all the reasons you guys seem to have issues with it.
2: I, I think, to me, I think of it is this way: with the Star Trek movies. We, we have established characters, and so someone going in to say Star Trek II, the Khan, Cold, that movie is, is created in such that you might not have the background as to that first time they encountered Khan, but it's written to where you at least know, for the most part, who the characters are, what role they fit in. It's enhanced if you've seen the television series but you can still go in cold and enjoy the movie to a degree maybe not to to the to a greater degree because you don't have that television reference but you still know who the characters are and I, and I don't think you get that with this movie i think that it's it's assumed that you know who everybody is there's not enough explanation as far as who the characters are and and coming in cold if you've seen the television show, then yes, you know who the characters are. And I think that's how they approached it, is that they they approached it with the assumption that you've seen the TV series, so you're going to know who these characters are. But I think someone coming in cold, which I came in lukewarm, because I saw a handful of episodes, but there was this, if you're coming in Without any back knowledge of what Dark Shadows is, it was it was very choppy. It was very rapid fire, very you know cursory explanation of who these characters were. If you got that, but there wasn't a lot of substance there, and I felt like honestly, I there was one comparison I came to is the Salem's Lot miniseries with David Soul was originally two parts, you know you know four hours with commercials and there was a time period where that version wasn't readily available that you, that it was only the condensed two hour version that was played over in Europe and it, it comes across being very choppy because essentially they're condensing the story down, but you're missing out in key details or character development and it's, it's hard to follow as opposed to what the original miniseries was like, and that's what I felt like there was, there was it felt like there were scenes missing. Which, well, I don't so, think that there is in this one. I mean, what we got is what we, you know, what was made is what we see. Well, I think there were some scenes cut out. I read, but so oh, you're talking about characters, okay?
1: So, what and, and plot? So that's two different things. So I have one question: is what did you not follow or understand because it was so short? But before that, the characters, what?
0: Did it matter?
1: And what I'm saying is, you've got a bad vampire, evil, much more evil oh, I than he was yeah. in the series. You know he's the bad guy. You know he wants the pretty girl. She's the reincarnation of his. You know, you know there's a family. He's a long lost relative. What more did you need to know about the characters for this movie to appreciate better? And I'm not. I, I realize characterization is a, an important part of a good movie, but as far as this, just being entertained what did you guys feel was missing from just strictly characterization, Steve, what do you think?
0: But from my point of view, you hit the main points of what they needed to do. It's just, they could have fleshed it out more. They could have spent more time on it and, and let it grow a little bit. You know, it just it just seemed very rushed. And what I was meaning by the characters is that if you take certain characters out, then it gives you a chance to do more with, those different, um, those other characters, and to have everything develop and get a chance to actually know them. Because one of the key things of a horror film is you want to definitely relate with the victims, and like a lot of modern horror films, they don't give you a chance really to know the victims at all, and then you don't you don't really have that care if they if they die or live or whatever. And I think that's what we needed was a little more of that development, you know, with with the uh, the main cast that was going to be going through this. Like, like John Carlin playing Willie Loomis, he has that big turn in the end, so to speak. It, it, and, and they had different things that we know going from the TV show coming in, but I think he could have had another couple of scenes to help develop his role more. And, 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 and that's the things I'm looking at. Is just, little things like that, because you only, you only have that 90 minutes to work with, you've got to be really judicious with how you do things.
1: So you felt like they tried to cram too much into a short time.
0: Exactly. And and you know, like you, I'd seen the whole series prior to this. So it's um, it's not like I, I came in cold. I'm just trying to think if somebody was coming in cold while watching it, they're just going to be um, really hit hard and have trouble keeping up. And they're going to be asking a lot of questions afterwards to me.
1: Let's talk about it from that perspective, then, since you had just seen it. Quality of movie
0: aside, did you like it I enjoyed it i think if I think if you've seen the series, you'll enjoy the movie because you know exactly what you're going to be getting. I did like how Barnabas had a darker turn to him it was it was like a different imagin- reimagination of Barnabas. He wasn't as conflicted as he was in the t v show. He was the villain, pure and simple. I mean there was no doubt in your mind like you wanted Barnabas to live or whatever. If you're watching that movie, you wanted Barnabas to die.
2: Kind of like the mirror universe version of Barnabas, the earth 2 version
0: yes, if you, if you had a beard, it would have been perfect a goatee
1: <laughs> and you know I still look at it though as if you got it's like glass half empty glass half full. you think they packed too much in there and that that hurt it. I'm like amazed they got so much packed into it, and I'm thrilled that they did. And, you know, I but like I say, I just cannot be objective. I, I'm going to tell a quick story. I've told this many, many times. I've written about it. When I was, I must have been seven years old, uh, and I did literally run home after school to watch Dark Shadows. I remember bits and pieces, but I was at an age where the, this stuff scared me. I mean, the the one thing I really remember about Dark Shadows is when the werewolf was on, and I had a babysitter that day and I literally ran from the room and peeked around the corner to watch because I was scared. Well, my aunt took me to the Chief Theater to see House of Dark Shadows and this was in the days where they ran movies back to back to back so you just kind of walked in on any part of it. And we were quite late and we walked in on the part where David was tossing the ball in the empty swimming pool, you know, saying if I catch this, Carolyn's not dead. And so that's where I picked up which is pretty far into it now that I've rewatched it, but then we get to the part where Barnabas grows old. I was scared out of my mind, and I leaned over to my aunt and said, if we see him again, can we leave? And she said, oh, do you mean to go get some popcorn or something? And I go, no, can we leave? And we had to leave because I was so scared. So these memories are so vivid in my mind, and for all these crazy reasons, I just love this movie, and I don't, I think anything you point out about it that it is, admittedly, I would say a
2: flaw for most people is something that I just love about it. You've got a childhood connection to it, and <laughs> and so I can totally relate to that. It's like there's certain things that you have a connection to. And it's like you, and I, you know, you can sit there and say, well, you can say whatever you want. It's the <laughs> greatest, and I and I, I'm that way with things too. I think that I think kind of where where Steve was going is that. They crammed so much into this movie, which you love the fact, because you want. like, I wish they had crammed in more, right? I think, again, from that, coming into it cold, just because you've got, you know, a hundred pages worth of script that you can kind of put together doesn't mean that you necessarily should. That I think they could have gone leaner and could have cut a few things out. That, from a... Dark Shadows perspective, you're saying I wish they would have included that or, you know, but from a film perspective, they would have been better off with the kind of the proverbial less is more. I think if they would have maybe taken a little bit out, taken some characters out and basically leaned things out and then I think that would have enhanced the movie, I think. 'Cause there was so much visually and from like you said, the score perspective that they could have lingered on a little bit more and with with fewer characters and maybe a slightly simpler storyline and with a smoother editing process. Th- there was a lot here that that looks great. I mean, the death of, of Barnabas, I think, is one of the most violent vampire deaths ever filmed. It's amazing. I loved it. I just felt like, you you know, the journey that we take in the course of this movie, it just seems so rapid fire, and a lot of it just seemed like they were trying to shoehorn stuff in because they could, because they had the cast available, and they had the storyline that was fleshed out over a much longer period of time of the TV show. I think maybe, and I don't know, I mean, were the, the, the screenwriters for this movie, were they connected to the TV series? If that's the case, then I feel like maybe a fresh screenwriter coming in should have been could have taken those ideas and maybe fleshed out a movie with a lot less. And I think the flow of the movie would have been a little bit better. You, you would have, from a Dark Shadows fan perspective, you, you might have said, well, gosh, but well, we wouldn't have seen this and we wouldn't have seen this. It's kind of like... Again, going back to Star Trek, you've got a big cast, but you can only include so many characters and so many plot points that sometimes you got to focus on one or two or three characters and the others kind of have to suffer a little bit because otherwise everybody has their, their scene. But like in the classic Trek movies, Sumo may not have much to do in this film, but the next film he gets a, a little subplot storyline and the next time it's Chekhov's turn, the next time it's Scotty's turn, and it makes for a better film as opposed to like, okay, we're going to cram, everybody is going to have their big scene, and it comes across feeling very, very rushed, and that's kind of how I felt with House of Dark Shadows. I felt like everything was rushed, and I wish that they would have either fleshed out the running time or leaned out what we had, and and I think that, for me, I think the journey would have been a little bit more... Pleasurable. I love what I saw. I just wished it would have happened at a different pace
0: and a little leaner.
2: Steve, again, when you were uh, watching all your dark shadows. Did you watch
1: the the miniseries with Ben Cross?
0: No, not yet. I haven't watched that one yet. But uh, the the good book, Rich. The writers for the movie Gordon Russell and Sam Hall were significant writers for the TV show.
1: What I was going to say about if you when you watch it, and I'm curious what you think. Let me know. That's very much a remake as it begins of House of Dark Shadows down to the same camera angles they use with Barnabas approaching the house, knocking on the door, uh, Willie, uh, you know, him treating Willie brutally and knocking him down the stairs. But it unfolds at a more leisurely pace with fewer characters at the beginning. And so I'll be curious what you see because uh, something Richard said made me think just about expanding it or taking it at a slower pace, I kind of, I treat that series, the first couple of episodes, like a longer remake of House of Dark Shadows. And so if you guys watch that, see, yes, that's what I'm talking about, or no, it's just as bad as the movie.
0: Well, I don't say the movie's bad. I'm just saying... I'm well, just well saying... So let me ask you
1: this. In terms of just 70s vampire movies, let's see, you had, what, Count Yorga Vampire, you had some Christopher Lee, even Blackula. How does this stack up against those? Because I have always said that it is one of the best vampire movies
2: of the early 70s. I think from a vampire's pers- perspective, yeah, Jonathan, Fred is amazing in this, and again, I mean, from start to finish, including the death, he, he holds his own against, the, the vampires of the day, and I think he, in all honesty, sometimes it gets overlooked as people are talking about memorable vampires, because Dark Shadows is something that, again, it's this huge amount of work, and a lot of people just get daunted by it, and they don't dive into it, and they may not dive into this particular movie, so I think he deserves a little more credit in the vampire world than he gets, and I think that there, the movie, I think, holds its own with other films of the day, and, and I and I don't dislike the film. I guess what I see is is that I think there was a, a potential for this film to be something better, in my opinion, and that's what I I looked at it with maybe too critical of an eye, as I was trying to enjoy this. I just I felt like I was rushed, and I wanted to say, hang on a second, let's slow down give me another 30-minute running time and maybe take this character out and this character out. I I started looking at it maybe too critically as opposed to, I think if I was a long-time Dark Shadows fan, I would look at it with some rose-colored glasses as I do Star Trek or Doctor Who. I can sit there and someone else coming in saying, well, this doesn't make sense, and I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I've been watching this for, 30, 40 years and you're wrong so I mean it, that that's natural and so I, I there's a lot there that I like with House of dark Shadows I just some of the, the flaws that that I saw kind of deterred me from enjoying the movie more uh, because I felt like there was a potential there to do something better if they would have maybe not I mean maybe this film was rushed into production a little bit too because they you're, you're taking characters away as the show is running concurrently on TV you're taking actors and actresses away from the TV show to make this movie as opposed to maybe if you were dealing with some people and you had a little bit longer time and you weren't trying to work around a TV production maybe if they spent a little more time with the film I think maybe it would have gone through an editing phase or two where this movie might have made a little more sense to someone totally coming in in the dark, so to speak. Yeah, I want to
1: comment on something you said, but Steve, how do you feel of it just in terms of being a vampire movie compared to those others that came out at the same time?
0: Well, again, I think if you look at that time period, it holds up well, and I know we were talking about Barnabas Collins and Jonathan Fred, but we, have to, we don't want to forget about the other vampire, Carolyn Stoddard. I thought she had a nice turn as a vampire, and I also liked how um, she met her end in the movie, it was it was it was definitely it was like oh this is pretty cool because she was stayed she stayed in character she was brash as in the movie she stayed brash when she became a vampire just basically her undoing was not listening to people and doing things that she shouldn't have done because she just wanted to do it uh, so I, I really enjoyed her vampire also so I don't want to you know leave her out in the dark but rich rich a lot of my thunder that
1: he he tends to do that. It pisses me
0: off sometimes. Actually, that, that was the word I was going to use about this movie. This is one of those movies that it it pisses you off a little bit because it could have been so much better. It's like all the stuff is right there with just a little bit of nip and a tuck and a little bit of expansion of this or that, as we, we already mentioned. You could have had a movie that could have been, instead of like a Dark Shadows, all these people like Dark Shadows like this, people might have been thinking about seeing this movie and say, this this is a great vampire movie, let's go watch the show instead of a movie for people already watching the show, this could have been standalone. It could, it could be holding up on its own and we be and we talking about it in a different way. That's, that's the thing that just annoys me. I think annoys Rich is that it's right there. It could be great. Instead of being good, it could be great if they just did a little bit of this and that. And I think, that, I think from saying what Rich said, I, I think that's the part that's annoying both of us.
1: Yeah, I get that, and and like I say, with my lack of objectivity, I just don't see it, because to me, this, this movie is perfect. I just absolutely love it, and yeah, uh, I'll own it.
0: <laughs>
1: so, uh, Rich talked about, you know, taking people away from the series to make it and all that, and I know that this was filmed concurrently with the TV show and that characters were written out, um, some for as few as nine episodes and some, I'm sure, Barnabas and probably Maggie, as many as 30 episodes. So, Steve, back to you watching the series, do you recall uh, a point where, say, Barnabas was missing for a long period of time and did you make the connection, oh, I, I bet he's away making the movie?
0: Oh, I think so. It's like when you see... But then again... I noticed some more of his character when he, he disappeared or Julia Hoffman would because they were the regulars. But the other people would disappear for such prolonged periods of time, off and on during the whole series, that you would never notice that they were gone filming. And um, and, that, and that was the interesting part about that whole TV show. Is people would just be gone for like a month, and then all of a sudden they're back, and then they're gone for a month. and And I was always wondering, what... They're still listed as a regular. I wonder if they're still getting paid if they're not there.
2: <laughs> I can actually answer that. On soap operas, they do. They, they Depending on their contract, they either get paid uh, a flat fee uh, or they get paid uh, kind of per appearance. So those characters who only pop up on occasion, those recurring characters, are only getting paid per appearance as opposed to the ones that you see on a more frequent basis. That's because they're getting paid a, a salary. Therefore, they're being written into the script. Uh, and that's why you don't have... It's, it's less likely in a soap opera for a character to be part of a big storyline and then just disappear because they're getting paid for that time. They're not on the screen. So if you're a part of a storyline, you're, you're going to appear more frequently and you're going from one storyline to the next, to the next, to the next. You're part of that main cast whereas the recurring characters are brought in as they're needed and therefore are paid for those appearances that, that they're seen as opposed to getting a salary and sitting on the sidelines. And sometimes with, with soap operas, whereas a character, maybe as they age, they go from being a main character to a recurring, their contracts will adjust accordingly as well as they decide. And they, if they choose to stay with that soap opera, they accept the fact that their salary is now such that it's a pay per appearance rather than getting paid to sit at home and do nothing and i, I
1: will say also about it uh, a vampire movie comparing to others i think the look of it is just we've, we've mentioned several times already but i mean the cobwebs the darkness the it's just absolutely i think best of any vampire movie of the time i mean the Production design, set design, cinematography, it's just flawless, and it's well, also Curtis, so creepy, and the music.
2: Dan Curtis had a way of producing some amazing pieces of work, and so, I mean, visually, yeah, this movie, they, they take advantage of, of the extra budget, and in what they couldn't do on a TV series, they did very well in this movie, visually and, and with the soundtrack. Uh, they took full advantage of that, and, and that's, that is a highlight of this film. And visually, it looks fantastic. If the discussion about Night of
1: Dark Shadows is going to be as lively as this one, we should probably wrap up. Steve, you got any other notes or comments you want to make about House of Dark Shadows?
0: No, I think we've pretty much um, hit everything on there. It, it, it was just great to see a movie to see how the vampires do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll take another quick break here, and we'll come back and talk about Night of Dark Shadows.
2: Come back to Collinwood, that house
1: of dark shadows, where life and death go on as usual. Ah! (sighs) A bodiless spirit
2: witch is hanged in the garden she'll be back the deranged
3: sadistic killer does his thing night
1: of dark shadows
3: death Kept their love alive. In
2: this original story featuring actors from the television series, Quentin Collins inherits Collinwood and moves in with his wife Tracy. The estate's sinister housekeeper, Carlotta Drake, and stable hand Gerard Stiles know something they don't, and the newlyweds are soon haunted by spirits from the past, including Angelique Collins, a witch that was hung in the 19th century.
1: back and i I will tell you up front i have no connection to this personally no growing up experience i don't remember the first time i saw night of dark shadows it came out basically a year after house on august 4th 1971 i don't know when i saw it the first time so i can probably have a much more objective conversation
2: about it let's start off like last time what did you guys think of it i will defer to you sir I, i i have no desire to steal any
0: more thunder during the course of this podcast. Steve, what do you think? <laughs> Thanks, Rich. <laughs> House of Dark Shadows. Oh, I mean, Night of Dark Shadows. Oh, my Lord. It. I, I know looking up in Wikipedia, it's missing, I saw the 95-minute version and I think originally Dan Curtis had done it as an, a 120-minute version but they made him edit it down. About 30 minutes, and it shows because it just jumps from scene to scene sometimes chaotically. And it made it sometimes a little hard to follow. Totally different premise than Night of Dark Shadows because it's a ghost story. I enjoyed the ghost story. I like how the ending was one of those twist endings. I, of course, always enjoy seeing. John Carlin in there, and they had David Selby. So it was always great seeing those two. But John Carlin was really was, to me, the best one. The movie, but because of that missing thirty minutes, it was kind of hard to follow, and it, it, it was it was kind of a drag. It was, it's my least favorite of the Dark Shadows movies.
2: Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. The all of the uh, the wonderful things visually and musically that were part of House of Dark Shadows is missing in this film. There's a lack of creativity when it comes to how they filmed it. And the music, there's some horrible music in this film that seems very out of place. There are moments when the music is good, uh, not as great as what we got in the first film, but it's good and goes with what you're seeing, But then there's other moments where the music was almost like carnival music in some scenes. It seemed so out of place and out of what should be the tone of that moment in the movie. Uh, It it was puzzling. It seemed, musically, it was like Jekyll and Hyde for me at times that pulled me out of of several moments of the film. As we're nearing the climax of the film, there's a moment where they're going through, I think, like the catacombs or whatever, And what should be suspenseful, eerie, gothic horror music was not, and and I wondered, you know, why they chose some of the the musical cues that they did. that was Dan Curtis because I think he was just wanting to do so much of that film. This one here, I think it was more the studio cutting, you know, forcing him to cut 35 minutes out of the film hurt the film drastically. It, It makes it very haphazard. And I don't think the film, I don't think it knew what it wanted it to be. Was it a ghost story or was it a, you know, crazed killer? I mean, the big final scene seemed like or I, mean, I guess as we're nearing the final scene it was almost like a homicidal killer flick you know I mean the, the ghost story aspect of it seemed to be put on the back burner and then we get back to it as the film ends actually as I was watching this there was parts I, I liked it because it was something different but it just seemed like it wasn't finished and and I think that's from the editing that they did. But there was also parts of it that from the I guess the and some of it I don't blame on the editing of scenes out. I think it was just you're dealing with a, a kind of a disjointed script and, and a less I don't know, it just it, it a less impressive way of making the film. It just it didn't have the polish visually that the first film did. It felt like a bad episode of the Sixth Sense TV series. Have you ever seen that, Steve?
0: Yes, I have.
2: And honestly, so the Sixth Sense, for those who don't know, out there, was an hour-long TV show, Gary Collins, and it ran for two seasons. When Night Gallery went into syndication, they had three seasons' worth of shows, but they didn't have that magical 100-episode number that's needed for syndication to to make it profitable. So they they came up with an entire fourth season of the show for syndication. Rod Sterling came in, he did the introductions for every episode, they created paintings for every episode. But what they did is they took the Six Sense TV series and random episodes and then edited them down from an hour to thirty minutes. And most of those just seem disjointed. You're you're going from scene to scene there's, there's discussions about, well, th- you know, what's something that happened that you didn't see on screen. Y- y- you kind of get a hint that, I think there's something better here, but it, what happened to this scene or this scene? That's what I felt like watching this movie. Like, I was watching a, a bad episode of The Sixth Sense that had been edited down into a night gallery episode. It just seemed like there was parts missing that we should have been privy to that weren't. I am just out of sync with you guys
1: today. I'll tell you, historically, I've always always thought House of Dark Shadows was great, Night of Dark Shadows was awful. I think both of those now are extreme. I remember watching Night of Dark Shadows in the past and not being able to follow it and, and having these big gaps. I was shocked when I watched it this week that I don't find that now. It made perfect sense to me. I was able to follow. I, I didn't feel like anything was missing. Yes, I agree that it's Very choppy, I mean, literally choppy. There were scenes within a scene that were the characters moved because, I don't know if they tried to match shots or what, but twice, you know, there was the very description of of choppy within the same scene, not even just the It's almost like when the
2: studio said, hey, we got to cut 35 minutes out, it's almost like he said, fine, you want 35 (laughs) minutes out? I'm going to cut this and this and this out. It didn't seem like... Maybe he didn't have the time to work with it, but yeah, it, you're right. It's very choppy, very and rough. And I agree about the look of it. It, it.
1: It's a very clean film. I mean, it looked crisp and clean, but there's not the atmosphere that House of Dark Shadows had. I did. I, I noticed it has a different cinematographer than House of Dark Shadows. It was the same production designer, but House of Dark Shadows has in the credits a set decoration, and night does not. So I don't know. There's some combination of talent there that did not produce the same result. And he may not have wanted the same look. I think at times it's creepy in just sort of the sense of a cool, cloudy fall day that's kind of cold and you've got to chill and it's kind of creepy. Not the heavy, heavy gothic of House of Dark Shadows. There were issues of... It's day and then it's night. I mean, it, it had all kinds of problems. But story wise, I actually really liked it this time. And it's not a ghost story, Richard. It's not a, a man, maniacal killer story. It's a story about reincarnation. Carlotta Drake, wonderful, creepy housekeeper, loved her character, Grayson Hall, you know, is the reincarnation of the little girl that was there. In the past, when Angelique the witch was hung, I'm not sure if Gerard is a reincarnation or not, but the the whole thing is that David Selby is the reincarnation of Charles Collins, who lived during the time that Angelique was hung as a witch. I really like that whole aspect of the story. And, you know, Quentin seeing the little girl in the window, and he runs up there, but it's really... Grayson Hall, well, that's because she was the reincarnation. Anyway, all of that I really liked. I liked, you know, the threat that the spirit of Charles Collins through this reincarnation was going to take over Quentin. And that was the the crux of the movie. That was the threat. That was the danger. And it got a little Amityville horror-ish, the way he started treating his wife, the lovely Kate Jackson, Tracy Collins. And then, Steve, you mentioned John Carlin and Nancy Barrett were their friends. They went away for the weekend, did a little research, and they put two and two together. That was a little abrupt. I'm not really sure how they came to believe that Quentin was in danger, but they come back. I don't know. I really I liked it more than I ever have and wasn't confused. I don't know. I really appreciate it. It sounds like more than you
2: guys did. I think the movie could have stood on its own. I liked the premise. I just didn't like the way it was executed. So I think that, again, this is a movie that almost seems like, I mean, yeah, it takes elements of Dark Shadows, but without Barnabas, to me, Barnabas Dark Shadows kind of goes hand in hand. And I know that they wanted to make a direct sequel. This movie was originally supposed to have Barnabas and by that time the TV series had ended and Jonathan Fritz said, no, I don't want to. I'm afraid I don't want to get typecast. And so they had to go a different route. Mm -hmm. I think this could have been a fun route to go. I love David Selby. I love Kate Jackson. I think there was a lot of potential here. I just, I feel like it's hard to judge the movie knowing that 35 minutes got cut from it because the 35 minutes could make the film... I mean, it could could totally change sensibility of the film entirely. It still wouldn't excuse the lack visually comparing it to The House, or it wouldn't explain, in my mind, the music that was that was poor at times. But it's hard to judge this film when you know that there's there's another fourth of the film out there that they have found, but without sound, which unfortunately doesn't do anything. So it's it's hard to judge this one. And feel like you're you're doing it justice because it, it was butchered by, you know, whether the studio or Dan Curtis or whoever did what they did to cut it down. And that, to me, hurt the film.
0: Yeah, from what I read, they gave like Dan Curtis like one day to reduce the, the, the length of the movie, which I don't know how you could pull that off. And, and, and you know, from 120 minutes to 90 minutes, that's just that's just crazy. But um, Jim Storm, I wanted to give as Gerard. I wanted to give him. So I, I enjoyed him. I just wish there would have been more scenes with him. And when you read the part that they found about the sound, there was more scenes with him in there. But Jeff, I know you said you, you said it's a reincarnation, not a ghost story. I think it's both because who was Angelique Collins reincarnated into? Ah, you had, good point. It had, had to be a ghost. Good. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And for a while there, I was thinking, man, this is like the shining before the shining. And I thought they were going to be going in that direction where maybe there was never a ghost at all. And it's just Carletta and um, Gerard driving him insane, you know, like leading him down that path. But I thought that would have been an interesting way to go where Angelique is never really there. Hmm so to speak, and then it would have been interesting, or you could do it just like they did in The Shining, where it's like, and then he's suddenly in the past, like in that picture in the past. I mean, there's so many ways you could have taken it. Who knows what that 30 minutes where, where and what would have happened and to help make it more cohesive to at least Rich and I. You seem to be somehow in, in a monk zone with it, you know. it's.
1: So, let me ask you this, Steve. When you were watching the series, did you like the character of Quentin or the actor david selby as much as uh, barnabas collins jonathan Freed. i know he was incredibly popular but i i've never really enjoyed quentin or any of his roles as much as i did barnabas
0: i enjoyed barnabas more than Quentin. Quentin was an interesting character because he was always played as the hothead but he was also a logical thinker because he was able to figure out real quick when he first met barnabas in the on one storyline um, that Barnabas was a vampire, or Barnabas did not live in England. He he realized things real fast, so he's usually quick on the uptake. I enjoyed it about his character there, and this one, it's a totally different type of Quentin. So, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to compare this Quentin Collins that one.
1: Yeah, and I guess what I'm getting at is that, to me, from the get-go, this movie isn't as interesting, because just that persona of the actor, or or a a character named Quentin Collins just doesn't appeal to me as much as one would about Barnabas or with Jonathan Fred.
0: And as as you guys already said, Jonathan Fred versus you, so it's not like they had a choice. Now, they could have... I don't know. They could have won other ways. They could have won with the werewolf storyline without Barnabas being there and made it a werewolf movie, but they made it a ghost movie, which they had a lot of popularity with, or maybe they could have did the Phoenix storyline. I'm trying to update it.
1: Dream curse.
0: Oh, not the dream curse. (laughs) (laughs) I thought sometimes when they were doing the dream sequences, I was starting to have flashbacks. I was just like, oh, no.
1: (laughs) So what do you think of the idea, Steve, that if you really shoehorn it hard, this could almost be a sequel to House of Dark Shadows? I mean, some things don't work, but did you notice Carlotta Drake... Said Mrs. Stoddard had her tea in this room before she died. Well, if you remember House of Dark Shadows, she was the last one standing except David. So I think what doesn't work is the time frame because this does, they both happened clearly in 70s. But had this taken place later in the future, Elizabeth could very well have grown old and died in that house, you know, with no living relatives because Barnabas killed them off. Quentin's the distant family member that inherits it and comes back. I sort of like to think
0: that it is a sequel
1: to House
0: of Dark Shadows. I think it's a sequel, and I think what they were looking for, if they would have kept it going, if it would have made enough money, it would have been more of an anthology-type series, where the house, like in House of Secrets, House of Mysteries-type DC Comics, where the house is the, the main character, and then you bring in other Collins's and you could have went to the past. You could have gone to the future. And I think maybe that's what they would have done with a sequel with um, Jonathan Fred If you would have came back, they might have taken it back to the past, how he became the vampire. I'm guessing. But that would have been a cool movie to see. You know, so It would have been interesting, interesting to see because you could still use the same people, like they had Grayson Hall. So you still have your same core cast do, doing different roles. And I think it would have been an interesting anthology series. Oh, yeah.
1: That'd be great. They, did they film... At the same house in both of these movies, Steve? I believe so. I meant to check that out. They looked the same, and it was very clear in the credits where they filmed House, Mm -hmm. but I don't recall seeing that in Night of Dark Shadows. Did the house look the same that you? It did look, and I actually read it. It did look the same house. What was interesting to me from that aspect, and again, that it could be a sequel, is like that swimming pool scene I described earlier in House of Dark Shadows. You know, it was empty and the, the building was decrepit well that same swimming pool is here but it's filled with water and you know that could have happened over time whether at some point they used it to swim or if just water had seeped in and filled it up and that that's maybe a good way to compare the differences in the look of the two movies because in house that empty pool is just and the surroundings that almost says everything you need to know about the look and feel of that movie and in night of dark shadows, it's not nearly as imposing or, or threatening. So I think that's a good sort of if you wanted to look at two similar scenes to see the difference in how they appear.
0: Oh, well, I agree. You know, it's just it's, it's like I said. It was it, it's just I wish we could see the full version, you know, and, and really make it to where Dan Curtis's vision was, where the script was, and that way we, we can really make a. A a, a true judgment of the movie. It's. I just felt it's. It's hard when you lose, like Richard said, twenty five percent of a movie. It's going to affect the movie dramatically.
2: Well, and if he if he had a day to do it, I mean, I I don't even see how that would have been possible to edit a film down that much in a day, and expect that your end result is going to be cohesive or not. That's just insane.
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, of course, I'm trusting all the, the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, on that 24 hour part.
1: <laughs> I have hopes that this 120 minute or whatever version we get to see sometime because I think they either found the audio or they have re recorded it. There are these components that they could put together, but I think
2: the cost to do so and to restore it is exorbitant. Well, David Selby is still alive and, and would have been when they found the footage and Kate Jackson is as well.
0: And Laura Parker.
2: Yeah. So it's possible that you could you could try to re record the audio, but gosh, you've got all the ambient sound in the background and stuff. I mean it would it would give you a taste. Right. It wouldn't be a Again, it would would still be a little disjointed, but it would be, maybe a take Hey, that could be the next
1: movie. We've got House of Dark Shadows, Night of Dark Shadows, Taste of Dark Shadows. Taste of Dark Shadows. (laughs) Uh, Steve, what did you think about, uh, I know Fair David is great, I love him, but he played Reverend Strack in the past, and I so wanted Jerry Lacy to have that role. Any thoughts on that?
0: Well, yeah, it should have been Jerry Lacy, because he's been that character all the way through, but... Sarah David is just such an amazing actor, and again, I really feel there's there's scenes dropped that he's in. I mean, I, whatever happened to Angelique in the past, a lot of those that thirty minutes or whatever I think is is in that those past scenes, and um, that that we're missing, and I think it, it would have been with him, with um, Laura Parker, and of course David Selby because being he would have been of course Charles Collins. Then I think that's a lot of the stuff that we're missing that would really out this movie and make it make it even better.
2: True. Yeah, I, I agree. It seemed like there was an opportunity there for more. So.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really have much more to say about this. I, one other quick point you mentioned about Gerard wishing he was in it more. I do remember, uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland had when Night of Dark Shadows came out, it was on the cover, and the cover picture was Gerard with his bloody face which I'm not sure in the movie, if that's when he popped up at the window or if that was later when he was fighting with Quentin on the bridge, but that picture was on the cover did lead you to think he would have a bigger part and would be more of the the villain in that movie.
0: I, I agree. I mean, it, 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 I think we can, I think I can say with both movies, it left me wanting more, like there should have been more done to him, And then that's, and that's the frustrating part because you know you can never get to go back and fix these things. It's too late now. And, and I think that it's just frustrating being a Dark Shadows fan. It's like they were so close and they just missed the mark for two of two of us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I admit this one misses the mark, I think even if I concede that the first one
0: may miss it, this
1: one misses it I to me much further. But I enjoy it. I mean, I thought I, You know, I put it off. I thought, oh, I'm going to have to suffer through that movie. I know it's not very good. But I guess that it it works both ways. You know, you go years thinking a movie's bad, and you watch it, it's not as bad as you think. You go years remembering how great a movie
2: is, and you watch it, and you're disappointed. I'm always a victim of my own expectations. I I think for me that this this movie kind of falls in line with the first one, is that I enjoy it, not so much for what it is as what I saw the potential of it could be. Because I enjoyed, you know, despite, again, the little things that, that bothered me, the flaws, per se, I, I enjoyed the overall premise, and then I just, I wish there would have been more, you know, or like in the case of, of House, that there would have been a, a slightly different approach, and I think for me, anyway, I, the enjoyment factor would have been upped. For this, it's kind of like, yeah... Show me the lost footage and and the the flaws of music or whatever those cues that I that annoyed me, I could easily overlook that if if I had another thirty minutes of footage that fleshed out the movie. Steve, you want the final word?
0: Well, if you want me to the final word, I'm just I just it's, it's like I said they're so frustrating and you wish they could have done this or that to make it better. I've even seen the Johnny Depp Dark Shadows and
2: oh,
1: there
0: was you went there. I I, I had to. And and the first half of it, the first third or two thirds of it were things that answered a lot of the problems with the first movie where they, they didn't have as many characters and kept it more focused. Um in the last third they just totally want some bonkers. So it's it's just it's like nothing. they've yet to make to me the the a good dark shadows movie and it's, it's I don't know if it's ever gonna happen because the, the one thing with the last one is they made it more campy. An interesting thing, with one of the bonus interviews I have on the coffin set, they had an interview with Jonathan Frid. It was like years after the show ended, He, there's one announcer to up, so what was it like working on this campy show and doing it for laughs? It goes, it wasn't campy. They, they never did it campy. People sometimes look back at it, usually people that never watched the show, and thought all these people were doing it with tongue-in-cheek and that kind of stuff. This is not Batman TV show, which was done purposely campy. This is like Doctor Who, the original series, and the, and the, and the Dark Shadows, the, the original. They were done with the best they could do budget-wise, but it was never intended to be funny.
1: Yep, that's right. That's I think I read that that's part of why it's so enduring and was such a success at the time, was that they were absolutely taking it seriously.
0: That does it. Another
1: Dark Shadows episode, when we did the first one, Steve, that at least in part, inspired you to go on your journey? Did we do anything today to inspire you
0: to do anything? Well, I am going to be getting down the road, the um, Ben Cross the, um, Dark Shadows um, re, you know, redo that one season. I'm going to plan on trying to get that for Christmas, that kind of stuff, birthday or Christmas, see if one of my children will buy it for me. And then I'll be able to watch that one season and see how that plays out. And then I can talk to you about how similar it is to the movie or, or not.
1: Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, I'm interested in what you think. I'm interested in what you think on a lot of stuff, Steve. I really appreciate you. I enjoyed meeting you last year at Monster Bash, your son, Ben. I, I know I repeat and I've talked about it a lot, but all your your messages that you leave us are hilarious. Uh, I loved your rating systems for uh, the three movies we talked about last month, the work you did on the list and helping Derek out and everything you're just think you're a great guy. I, I like you a
2: lot. Yeah, everything that Jeff said, we, we love the, the feedback we have you know, from our, our, our core fans. I will segue and say that the challenge is, is, is laid down. I want to hear your thoughts because next month we're, we're going old school. Uh, we've been in the 70s for a few months. So uh, for our August episode, it's Bela Lugosi. And Ooh. we're going to be covering, as we've done with others, early, middle, and latter part of his career. And I'll announce it now. The three movies we're going to cover are Murders in the Rue Morgue, Return of the Vampire, and Bride of the Monster. I'm giving you your homework assignment now. You've got a head start. you got a head start. Um, <laughs> let, let us know which, what you think about your thoughts on uh, Lugosi and... Uh, in particular, the those three films that we'll
0: be talking about uh, next month. Well, th- I'm looking forward to it now. And th- thank you guys for having me on. And and one thing I forgot to mention earlier was um a shout out to Jonathan for meeting him at Monster Bash and getting to talk to him for a little while and getting to meet his his wife. And um, it, that that was a highlight of one of the highlights of Monster Bash is getting to meet people for the first time or re see people again. You know, they, like like Derek. You know, how often am I going to see somebody from Oregon? You know, but thankfully Monster Bash brings us all together. The other thing I want to mention to people is, I don't know, if you guys never say anything about this, but on iTunes where I download your thing, your your stuff, people don't forget you can rate their podcast and leave feedback. I think I'm the only person who's done it, <laughs> and so the, we need more people to leave feedback for these guys so they can actually get an official rating or help make people find this podcast and so the club can grow
1: ah thank you see i'm so horrible about those kinds of things I mean, thank you half yeah. the time i don't introduce myself or when we used to be on the the network i always forgot to say that so thank you for that reminder
0: well you're welcome I and mean, because the key thing is is it's like i left on the feedback there it's kind of nice it's almost like a club atmosphere where you're sitting there and everybody's having whatever beverage they're doing, and. um and is sitting back and talking about whatever is interesting at that time, whatever movie we just saw or the old TV shows, that kind of stuff. And it, that's that's the kind of the, the impression I get from the club.
2: Well, good. I think that's what we're trying to convey. Yeah, that was one thing when we started talking about doing a podcast. It's like you know, there are several out there that that we held a high esteem. The really, Monster Kid Radio and, and the B Movie Cast. B Movie Cast was like you know the grandfather. I mean, it was the original. And, uh, you know, Monster Kid Radio, gosh, Derek has has taken that to a a whole other level. So we wanted to do something that was similar yet different and appeal to the same audience, but we weren't kind of going over the same uh, retread, so to speak, of of what the other shows are doing. We kind of wanted to put our own unique take on it. So thank you for those kind words. And, yes, go out to iTunes and, and give us a review. Let us know what you think. That's, you know, we're a few months into that now being on iTunes, and we're uploading older episodes, the remastered versions, so to speak. Um, Jeff has been doing great at that, and uh, as something comes up, an anniversary of a film or what have you, we're uploading those older episodes to to iTunes so that they're still there in the old feed, but eventually the goal is is that we'll have all of the episodes on our feed so they'll all be in one spot. It's uh, a, a little bit of a, a, a laborious process, but I know that thank you to Jeff for, for being the technical wizard of the show. So, um, And I'm not sure Steve would agree that
1: I'm a technical wizard. I, thanks for going through the team um, that we did to get this show going. I hope it turns out all right. We'll see. At least you didn't have to spend that whole 12 hours with us.
0: Well, it's not like it's a chore or anything. It's enjoyable when you get to talk to people that are enjoying the same things and and one and one of the things i like about your podcast is, is that you don't you know you guys are always going to say this movie is great you're honest about the movies and the thing is it and, and it's it's polite discourse as we talked about night of the dark shadows not everybody agreed on that one the same way same with house of dark shadows but the thing is it's, it's, everybody's entitled to their opinion people take things too seriously like with Current movies like with Solo and other stuff, and it's just like really, it's just a movie in the end. And were you entertained or not?
2: Yeah, that's something that I love about most of the people in our podcast community and all these different podcasts is that we can agree to disagree without going down a nasty path. There's, you know, I listened to podcasts before and had to quit them because. I'm not into bashing for the sake of bashing, and the same as on social media. It's like if your whole purpose is to be the first one to post negative comments, then you're probably going to get unfriended or uh, unfollowed. Because uh, I think these movies, there's something to find in almost every single movie, with maybe one or two exceptions out there. There's some enjoyment factor, and you know what? even if you may not find it enjoyable, someone else does. And so I think just as a matter of respect, I think that's one thing I like about the community that we have, is that everyone kind of respects these, these classics for, for what they are. And sometimes, yes, we all need to laugh at these movies because they're intended to be laughed at. Thank you for joining the show today. We hope to have you back and maybe not be as, as rough in the, uh, the get-go, uh, starting things up as we work our way through. Uh, Speaking of getting uh, Dark Shadows for Christmas, maybe
1: we'll get headphones. Maybe Jeff and Richard will get headphones.
0: (laughs) I don't know what to say. You're you're slowly but surely getting into the new millennium. Yeah. 18 years late.
1: (laughs) Well, we talked about age earlier. You know how that is. Well, Steve, take care. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope we talk again soon.
0: I hope so, too.
1: Take care, Steve.
0: You too, Rich
2: want to just thank Steve for being on the show with us uh, again, our third guest on the show that we've had since the start. And, you know, great conversation. You know, we, Steve is one of those people we, we met virtually on on Facebook, but then really met at Monster Bash last year. I can say we've become good friends. And of course, after we stopped recording, big shock and surprise, we <laughs> continued to talk as anyone who's been on any of the other shows like B-Movie Cast or Monster Kid Radio, there's a lot of unheard footage out there because when Monster Kids get together, we talk about movies and stuff. If we were all in the same location, none of us would get any work done because we would just talk about all the stuff that we love. And uh, that's exactly what happens. So thank you, Steve, for being on the show. Definitely going to have you back again in the future. Steve is, is... Got some stuff brewing as well, so we're looking forward to see what he's got coming down the pike. When he's ready to share that, it'll be a lot of fun. Thank you for being on the show this week. Yes,
1: thank you much. Let's go through our new business here, relatively brisk pace. I think we talked to Steve for, gosh, right at two hours. To some releases on home video in July that we might want to be interested in. We are recording this... On the, what is the date today? The 8th. So a couple of these things I mentioned have already happened, but still time for you to get involved. On the 3rd, last Tuesday, Last House on the Left from 1972 came out on Arrow Video. Uh, I mentioned that because I did a review of that Blu-ray on ClassicHorrors.club, and if you'd like to read what I thought about it, go check that out. Same day, Cat of Nine Tales came out from Arrow. And I get confused with Arrow releases because things come out multiple times in limited editions and different versions and all that. So I had actually reviewed that, that some time ago. The 10th, which, if this gets out on time, will be probably tomorrow. Who Can Kill a Child from 1976 comes out on Mondo Macabre. Have you ever seen that, Rich?
2: I have not. I know that you you put on Facebook... And I, I'm not even sure I've heard of it. Before, I, you know, I
1: hadn't either. But it is fantastic. It kind of think of it as um, Village of the Damned on steroids. It's, it's not gory at all. Okay. Um, so maybe Carla could watch it. But it's, it's really well done. I, I enjoyed it a lot. You
2: know, there's so many things out there that we, we don't even know or, or haven't seen. I, last night, flipping the channels, and I was. Like, maybe halfway into a movie called Experiment in Terror, which I've heard about. And uh, I can't remember the actress who starred in it, but I, I, I watched it for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is a movie I've got to watch. And so I was like, nope, nope, I got to turn this off. Yeah, there's so many things out there that you don't get a chance to see or even hear about. And so, uh, you got to rely on, on your friends to say, hey, this is a movie you need to check out. So I'll put that on the list. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it. Uh, I saw you post that, and I'm like, what is this? So
1: Yeah, and they did a remake of it, I think, in 2016 called... Uh, I can't remember the name. I did not see that. I did watch the trailer after I watched this, and at least in the scenes they showed in the trailer, it's pretty much a shot-by-shot remake. In that case, I normally prefer the original. You know, if the... Remake doesn't do something new and different Yeah The original is just It's fantastic Speaking of ones we don't know The the week after that On the 17th Is The Case of the Scorpion's Tail From 1971 I think that's a giallo I believe Troy Howarth Is doing a commentary on that uh, His commentaries are always great I look forward to watching that On the 24th A movie called Love Me Deadly Have you heard of that From 72 Sounds familiar well, it's is about quote a young socialite struggling to control her necrophiliac urges, torn between her affection for a kind businessman and the mortician who supplies her with her bodies.
2: I, I have not heard of this one. Yeah, <laughs> that description
1: it, doesn't ring a bell. It, uh, it's coming out from Code Red. Uh, I don't know. Fits in our year range so included that and then finally on the 24th from shout factory someone's watching me this is the 1978 tv movie that john carpenter directed with uh, lauren hutton anniversaries movies that came out in july over the years again like last month able to tie most of these to episodes we've done not all of them this time there were a couple others i wanted to mention july 13th of 77 island of dr moreau In a future episode, as we've mentioned before, we hope to be doing a trilogy of Dr. Moreau movies. July 14th of 1972, Love Me Deadly, that we just mentioned. July 15th, 1945, The Black Room. I mention that because uh, Monster Kid Radio did an episode on this back in March with Dr. Gangrene, Larry Underwood. And it was actually an episode where I had not seen the movie and I actually wanted to stop it, watch the movie, and then continue. I have yet to do that, but have you seen The Black Room? With with Boris Karloff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. I Vivid memories of watching that on the uh, Creature Feature with Cremation Mortem as a kid on a Saturday night. She would show a lot of bad movies, and so when she would show one of these Karloff films, it was kind of like, a oh wow, this is a classic. I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. It's one of my favorite Karloff movies mm. actually. I bought it on VHS when they were like $30, you know, it was not a cheap purchase. Yeah, as soon as it came out uh, in a set, I'm trying to remember what set, it's in one of the the box sets of Boris Karloff, so it's not a separate film, but it's, it's available in one of the box sets, and yeah, I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, I need to watch that, it needs to go to the top of my list. And the way they were talking about it, it just, I didn't want it to be spoiled, it sounded like I might get more out of it by just by watching it and then hearing what they had to say about it.
2: Yeah, it's part of a box set with The Man They Could Not Hang, Before I Hang, which is two kind of mad scientist-like roles, and then the wonderful Boogeyman Will Get You with Peter Laurie, which is, all of these were rare when they came out. It's from Icons of Horror Collection. I'm sure it's probably out of print now. They were like four films for 20 bucks back in the day. Hmm,
1: maybe the reason I didn't watch it was I didn't have it, so perhaps... That can move from that side of the table to this one, and I can borrow it. (laughs) That's why I took it off the shelf. All right. July 16, 1959. I don't know why I included this other than it's the alligator people, and I think I just would be remiss if I didn't include that. July 19, 1958. Not strictly horror, but I think it's notable. It's a, a really good thriller called Don't Bother to Knock with Marilyn Monroe. Have you ever seen that? I've heard of it. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I I watched it recently just I think on TV and I I enjoyed it. July 20th, 1972, Dr. Fives rises again. You know, maybe someday in the far future maybe we could do the Dr. Fives films. It would be fun. S- spoiler alert, this one I did not like nearly as much as the original,
2: no, there's there's a big difference between the first and the second. It's still Vincent Price, it's yes, still fun, yes. but the characters, yeah, it's you. You've got a classic, and then you've got you know, and not so much of a classic. Yeah,
1: July 26, nineteen fifty three, The Maze. That's a movie. I don't know if we mentioned it offline or or while we were talking to Steve, but that's a, a great little thriller that I recently discovered. I had bought it at Monster Bash, watched it. Liked it so much, I upgraded to Blu-ray
2: and then handed down my. Yes, I've got your hand-me-down DVD, and I'll take it. This is a film that I saw on Netflix many years ago. They had a um, like five or six films that were part of a package, and I found out they're they're you know going off streaming at the end of the month, and so over several nights I watched this one and the Neanderthal Man and Curse of the Faceless Man and i remember not being as impressed with it and i want to go back and revisit it with older and wiser eyes and see if it's uh it may have been a victim of watching too many movies in a very short amount of time but it's got richard carlson in it Mm -hmm. which immediately you know enhances the film so i'm looking forward to to revisiting that and then finally july
1: 30th 1971 willard I mentioned that, of course, because way back in June of 17, that was our sixth episode. Oh, rats! Where we talked about Willard and Ben. That seems so long ago.
2: I have vivid memories because I was just into the first month of dating my now wife, and I remember a string of bad movies. and And I'm not saying those bad, but non typical films. I remembered looking at her when the the musical portion came up in Ben And I looked and I said, you know, I really do watch other movies of this. I had this fear for a moment that she's like like, this is it. That's the deal breaker. That's right? the deal breaker, you know, because she had the look on her face like, what am I watching? And admittedly, you know, it's a catchy little tune that sticks with you in your nightmares. So yeah. it does seem like a long time ago we did that.
1: Now on to the TV Terror Guide some months, there's not a lot on TV. There's an awful lot happening in July. First, I just want to note, and I'm not even going to go through the four of them, but this month on Svengoolie, it's all the things that have been on, I believe, probably in the last year. I mean, They're in repeat
2: mode, yeah. they. Uh, last night, I know they had Medusa against Hercules, which I missed when they played at the first go-around, and I missed it again last night because we had festivities at our house. So... Uh, I actually have a copy of it downloaded off YouTube, which I'm sure is probably illegal, and there's somebody listening right now, but that's on my my list of films to watch. Barracuda is another one that I, I'm curious on. I think that's coming up in a couple weeks, but as we record this, next Saturday's The Ghost of Mr. Chicken, I believe... And it doesn't get much better than The Ghost of Mr. Chicken as far as I'm concerned. So if you haven't seen that, check out Spindy Yeah, Relief And
1: then the 28th too. is Munster Go Home. So both of those, Ghost of Mr. Chicken and Munster Go Home, I remember watching over and over oh, as yeah. a child. Those were great. Turner Classic Movies has at least four marathons this month. And, of course, Friday the 13th is probably their, their biggest one. And I, I try to find the connecting tissue here among all those. Not that there's necessarily anyone needed for friday the 13th but that day we get dead men walk the mysterious doctor the disembodied the plague of the zombies the devil's own i walked with a zombie black magic the hypnotic eye and two on a guillotine what i or guillotine did i pronounce it wrong anyway what i like about this lineup there are several movies that they have not played within the last couple of years probably the disembodied i'm not even sure i've seen that one yeah, The Hypnotic Eye, Black Magic, The Mysterious Doctor. Those are all ones that were seemed fresh to me.
2: I, I have room on my DVR. I, I have found that, unfortunately, with Sling TV, there are still some movies that they block on, on Turner Classic. They don't have the streaming rights for it. They're, they're far and few between. They've gotten a lot better, but there is still those occasional movies that they don't show. And, and But The Disembodied is something I, I, I hope is, is something I can add to the DVR some reason that one's just not ringing a bell with me at all. July 20th
1: so the the Friday after that uh, just a little mini marathon, The Body Snatcher, Dr. X and The Return of Dr. X <laughs> The Return of Dr. X <laughs> Humphrey Bogart does horror everyone's got to see that at least once then that next Monday on the 23rd th- this is the one where I don't, I don't really know if I find a connective tissue so Gojira and then Godzilla the King of the Monsters so that'd be really awesome to see the two different versions of that. Then the Bowery Boys Meet the Monsters. <laughs> wow. Spook Chasers, Phantom of the Rue Morgue, The Black Scorpion, The Beast from Haunted Cave, A Bucket of Blood, House on Haunted Hill, and The Killer Shrews. Holy heck. Now is there anything in
2: common on all those? No. You've got good quality films to lesser than good quality. You've got Giant Monsters, and then you've got movies with no monsters yeah there's no connected. yeah and
1: not that there needs to be connective tissue but they usually name their day you know it's such and such a day and there's something common but uh just over overall rounded well-rounded fun i guess that day
2: yeah i mean there's some good films in there and some i haven't seen for a long time beast from the haunted cave is actually uh been on my mind uh recently because it's Having just watched Wasp Woman, there's it's available on a on a Blu-ray together with Beast from the Haunted Cave. And doing some research on the Wasp Woman, I found out some things about Beast from the Haunted Cave. It has extra scenes that were filmed for the television release, like the Wasp Woman was originally an hour-long film that's now almost 75 minutes long because they added a little more than 10 minutes of footage that you can kind of see when you watch it. It's like, yeah, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So... Beast the Haunted Cave is apparently the same thing. So, interesting mix of films.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then on the 30th, mostly a Val Luton day. There's a couple things I'm not sure of, but Seventh Victim, The Ghost Ship, Bedlam, Isle of the Dead, The Leopard Man, Cat People, uh, the documentary that TCM did, Val Luton, The Man in the
2: Shadows, and then Them. Them is the... Well, it's an oddball, but man, what a good film. Having just watched that in the last week, Mm -hmm. Them is is a classic. So that is an oddity that they threw that in. But anyway, great, great
1: movies this month on TCM. Comet TV continues to do their Monster Summer. So Sunday nights, they get the double feature. Tonight, Son of Godzilla and Konga. I love Konga. Konga's fun. Yeah. Next Sunday night, Godzilla vs. Megalon and War of the Gargantuas. Oh, wow. That's that's a double feature. <laughs> the 22nd, Gojira and Attack of the Monsters. Oh, wow, okay. The 29th, Destroy All Monsters and Monster from a Prehistoric Planet. Okay. And I'll go ahead and do August 5th since they've got it posted. Godzilla, King of the Monsters and Monster from the Surf. Monster from the surf. I If that's the one I'm thinking, I watched it fairly recently. It's got, oh gosh, the actor that was in Invisible Agent. And he was a very appealing actor, so I wanted to check him out. And then he's older, I guess is the nicest way to say it in this movie, if that's the one
2: I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, I, I'm drawing a blank on that one. That's I know last night they were playing uh, the man from Planet X. Uh, which is a fantastic film. So, yeah, Comet TV, you know, they're they're an interesting network because they they certainly will play the classic flicks, but then they'll play some more recent contemporary film that's notoriously bad. So, it's it's um, it, you can watch it for free, you know, if you have the app, you can watch it and then tss, you got to sit through some annoying commercials and and some downtime when they're not playing anything. Which I guess is when they're doing like local commercials. You got to sit through that. So that, I mean, it's it. There's, sometimes there's a, a string of commercials and it gets a bit distracting. But it's fun to have on in the background. I think uh, it might be a little hard to sit down and watch it on the app from start to finish without getting distracted. Fun to have on in the background when you're doing something. Yeah, that is the movie I was thinking about. It's
1: also known as The Beach Girls and the Monster. That one, okay. And, yeah, and uh, John Hall was the actor I was thinking of. I just I really really liked him in. Invisible agent and not so much in this one, but (laughs) the theme weeks for Comet TV, the week starting the ninth is Godzilla movies next week, 16th through 20th is post-apocalyptic movies, the 23rd through 27th extraterrestrial movies, and then July 30th through August 3rd dinosaur movies. Good stuff. Yep. So I think that's it. Let's take a minute and catch up. Richard, what do you have going on on your blogs or
2: podcasts? Podcast-wise, I've done a few things for the Dread Media podcast, one of which I think is coming out this week. It's my review of Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom. Of course, you and I just saw The First Purge in the last week, so some more contemporary stuff coming up on Dread Media. For the blog, the Sci-Fi Horror Fest is continuing without interruption which is fun introducing carla to some some new films and getting her take on this and going to be seeing some stuff that she has seen as well here in forthcoming weeks we've done some ray Har- harry films one of which was a uh, a new watch for me first men in the moon this past week we did a Ant-Wasp theme with them and the Wasp Woman. I loved that. Uh, that was fun. And uh now this week we're doing heavy metal. So we're gonna kind of go back and forth. We got some good stuff coming up. Uh stuff like Gog is gonna be coming up later on in the month. Uh that was a Kino Lorber 50% off sale that that Jeff directed me towards and and uh I couldn't resist. Yeah, we're uh gonna continue uh, every week through uh through labor day and uh got some good stuff uh coming up on that that's what's going on with me and i haven't heard the latest episode of the Memiverse yet what, oh yeah why did you yeah,
1: do yeah, this yeah. thank you for that
2: i talked about the brain from planet eros uh kind of tied in a little bit with uh the monster bash and, and you and i had our little mini bash in the last month we couldn't be at monster bash we did it here and we did a kind of night at the drive-in, and uh, I thought, well, that'd be a fun film, and so I talked about that over at the uh, July edition of the uh, monthly Memoverse audio cast. That's kind of a constant with me, and, you know, some months I struggle, and that this month was like, you know, I'm going to talk about the brain. I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember when the B-Movie cast episode went live. I'm Don't know if it went before or after. I I think it went after the last episode we did. I think it went out after the Margot Kidder episode. But uh, I'm in one of the most recent episodes of uh, the B-Movie cast. I uh, sat down with Nick and Mary, and we talked about Incubus with William Shatner. And uh, that was a lot of fun, getting back on the B-Movie cast for the first time in many years. So that's out there. I think they've only done one other episode since then, and I'm not sure they've done a... Monster, Maybe they have done a Monster Bash recap, but I, I can't recall. I uh, they're not quite on the weekly schedule. They've been I'm sure they're having some, uh, as you know, real life comes up sometimes. And so, uh, you know, their schedule has been a little bit more erratic. Got some other podcast appearances I'm doing, and then the blog is, is uh, being very active. And I think once we get post-Sci-Fi Horror Fest, pre-31 Days of Halloween, <laughs> I'll do some non-horror movies in September. Just to stir things up over at uh, kccinephile.com. Sounds good. So
1: I'm doing a similar weekly thing on my blog, ClassicHorrors.Club. It's called The Friday Fright. And I've been doing a real mix of movies there. They seem to kind of navigate towards the 70s, but it's a real mix on on what I'll write about there. Uh, I did see a new movie, a more modern horror this week that will be up on Boom Howdy next week called The Devil's Doorway. And I just mentioned that to anyone that you know likes modern horrors as well, because it was a pretty good movie. I, I enjoyed it. Check that out. Uh, and then I've got a couple things coming up with the guys from We Belong Dead in England. The next pub- book publication you all will see is called A Pictorial History of the Cinefantastique. That's what they finally decided to call it. It's sort of a tribute to the old book that a lot of monster kids had growing up pictorial history of horror movies the name describes what it is but i contributed to a chapter on the 70s and then wrote a complete chapter about silent movies that will be interesting originally it was going to be these eras and then spotlight on different movies from the arrows eras but apparently they decided really to go heavy on the pictures and they pulled all the spotlights out I've seen the cover. It's another great cover. I'm sure the book's going to look great. That's what's happening with me. I think we already mentioned what we're doing next
2: time. We'll mention them real quick though Murders in the Rue Morgue, uh, Return of the Vampire, and Bride of the Monster, all of which should be readily available, I think, out there. Uh, Bella Lugosi, the Bella Lugosi collection, which I believe is still available from Universal, uh, Return of the Vampires on its own DVD, and Bride of the Monster. Might be part of a box set, but you should be able to find that as well. And if not, check out YouTube. I have a feeling that Bride of the Monster is probably on YouTube.
1: And if not, you can check them out from Rich, like I'm going to ask him to do on Bride of the Monster, because that's the one I'm missing uh, in order to be able to watch them. Just want to remind everyone to please join our Facebook group. Give us a call, 616-649-2582. Record a voicemail. Send it to classichorrors.club at gmail.com. Send us a note by Carrier Pigeon. Smoke signals on a clear day. Anyway, we'd love to have you participate in the show. If you've got nothing else, Rich, I think we'll close. We're closing with Night of Dark Shadows. This is a little different. I feel like we've had a long episode that's full of information we all kind of need to just relax maybe and meditate a little so this is by a i don't even know if they're a group but hypnotic therapy music consort from 2015 from deep sleep therapy and hypnosis meditation here's
2: night of dark shadows goodbye everybody goodbye